Oh man, folks, I can't believe it for the 300th time. Welcome back to the Uticast, episode number 300. I can't believe we finally made it here. Uh, you know, I made such a big deal about not, you know, making this a special episode or anything. And it is essentially just a normal episode of the show, but we have a really, really great interview with GFOP uh, Katie Aiello making her third appearance on the show as she announces her run for first ward uh, council person. Really excited to talk to her. Also this week, we're going to talk about Syracuse in the March Madness Tournament, uh, Rome's Bocce Tournament that's coming up. We'll talk about history lessons. We'll talk about 300 episodes of this show and what it's been able to do for me and Kevin and the opportunities it's offered for all of our listeners and all the people we've had a great time talking to. A bit of a celebration of the history of the pod, plus some news, plus some history, a little doomsday report, and then of course we'll break down the chicken sandwich wars, which is the most important thing in America right now. All of that, folks, and so, so much more. As always, we are happy that you are here for 300 episodes of the Uticast. It even sounds weird to say now. Uh, that's it, folks. Let's get ready for the show right now. to shout to Mark Simon for this fine slain Irish whiskey that I'm enjoying here on a, on a Monday afternoon. It's not scotch, I lied to you. We're not having scotch. No, I mean, it's all, you know, listen. <laughs> I support the Irish and their whiskey making. Always have, always will. Uh, well, happy happy anniversary, I guess, to us. 300 episodes. I guess mm. it's not, we say this every time, it's not really an anniversary because it's not a year anniversary. It's just a round number. No, it's still a, it's still a thing. It's still a thing. I'm very excited. Uh, and before we get into the rest of the show, I just want to thank some people, uh, over the last 300 episodes, who've been very important to the show. Mm. Uh, first off, I guess I gotta ask you, Kevin, because uh. this show has been really foisted upon you. I, I don't think people give you enough credit for. <laughs> yeah, okay. For give, give me some credit, I'll take that. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah, I don't let's know. Hear if, it. I don't know if people totally understand uh, the commitment that was like, accidentally foisted upon you when I started doing this show. Not really that hard. Um, it's well, especially. I know. I'll tell you what. It's gotten easier. During the year of plague, with oh, yeah. like less uh, commitments and places to be, mm-hmm. a little more daunting. Like you know, during a time like when we we've had different jobs because we've been doing the show long enough yeah. that we've had some different jobs when we do it, and it can be a little bit tougher then. But it's 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 easy, you know what I mean? There's not. It's just sit down and chat, Marty at my house, you know that's helpful. Well, I think we have uh, the 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 helpful uh, bonus of having known each other for. Mm-hmm. Almost 20, 20 plus years now at yeah. this point in time. Certainly. So, Certainly plus makes things a little easier as we mm-hmm. get as we get uh, to this stage in the oh, game. We, we say it all the time. A lot of things. It's not hard. No, this is not hard. We're doing. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not. It's not that hard. Uh, there are some people I need to thank as well. First off, I need to thank the beloved Aaron Higgins, who mm. I will presumably be seeing a bit more of now. It seems like. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is uh, it going down? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. We'll get to that later. Um, so shout out to Aaron Higgins. I've mentioned a million times. Longtime mm. listeners of this show will know. Uh, this show was started in my mind as a platform for Aaron Higgins to shine. And then, 
you know, life gets in the way as things do. Aaron Higgins, the Sid Barrett of the Unicast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, oh, and I, but I got to give her a lot of credit. You know, like I didn't. Again, I talk about this show sort of being foisted upon you. It was kind of accidentally foisted upon me by myself. I didn't expect to go 300 straight weeks when we first did this show. Mm, it, you know what it is? I think more than anything, it becomes one of those things that when you start doing it, especially when you get, you know, not like, you know, not top podcasts in the world or anything, <laughs> but when you start getting, like, you know, people who listen and people who reach out and you get that level yeah. of notoriety, once you start, it's almost hard to find a reason to stop. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and like believe once me. you started every week, it's just like, well, I'm. What am I not going to do it this week? And oh just yeah, like, oh, sorry about it, uh, Mister Mister Neurotic over here has had many existential crises about what the end of this podcast eventually looks like. Oh when yeah, is the I'm right sure. time. I'm sure. To mm-hmm. uh, and I think that in the reality to that question, I joke around all the time with people about that every episode is the last episode. Yes, um, I would say until life hands me some scenario that will make this podcast unsustainable, right? Like, the ability yeah, to I do this... That, that, that's pretty fair. Uh, that'll probably be... But there's no guarantee when that'll be. It could be, you know, six months. It could be six years. Who knows, Well, and right? I think it would also... It would also probably become the kind of thing where even if it wasn't the weekly show, there's enough of a built-in, you know, listener base. You know, shout out to everybody who's ever listened to this show and, like, oh, come yeah. and, like, talked about it and been like, hey, you said this thing or mm-hmm. I heard this thing on your show this week. Um... There's always opportunities to put out different kinds of content. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we've talked about doing other kinds of podcasts. We've talked about doing, like, limited series, mm-hmm. doing specials and stuff like that. I feel like as long as microphones are able to plug into computers, stuff like that will come out, mm-hmm. even if it, you know, down the road it's not, like, a weekly endeavor. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't see any immediate scenario mm-hmm. where I'm going to be done here. Matter of fact... Unless we teach Heather how to play the drums, we just start a band. <sighs> We'll put well, out songs instead of podcasts. Great come through because Heather was my next person on the list who wanted mm. to thank. Who you know, Heather, going all the way back to episode sixteen, I want to mm-hmm. say in the very early days of the show, was always a big supporter. And once I was so scared to ask her to come on the show because mm-hmm. like, she's got a life and she's going to say no, but she was probably more happy to do it than I was to have her. If that makes if yeah. that, if that's even possible, right? Yeah. I was, and I, you know, and. Whether or not we'll see Heather again is really a question of uh, oh, we'll when, see Heather again. when rather we'll say, than well, if. I'll start doing the podcast at her house. I'll, we'll I'll, show up on that back. she got a porch, a yard, something, I'm sure. I would say we'll go there. We'll be outside. It is much sooner than later. I'll put it that way for you folks, when you will hear Heather mm. back again. Ominous. Ominous. Much sooner than later. I'll put it that way. Ominous. Uh, I also want to thank Mara, who people sort of forget about. Uh, 100%. As, who really came in and gave the show a little 100%. like youthful energy when I felt yeah, like yeah. we had left, Aaron had left and it was in between and the Dave Navarro yeah. tower to the Dave... Peppers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. A little too a little too like cool and too much cool for of a us. live wire for us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it but helped us through and mm. kept some of that exuberance in a transitional period from, you know, Hello Slovak to John Fashanti. It's true. Well, little chili some, peppers history for you really folks out there. Deep references in here. Amen. Uh and I guess, you know, we have to mention, you know, jokes aside, I've given him a lot of hard time. Uh gotta thank Justin for oh, Maiden Utica and God, Kate. Yeah. And, Absolutely. Uh you know, Justin essentially built the website for us on his own merit without telling mm-hmm. us he was going to do it. And, yeah. you know, I, whether or not, you know, he is always on the show, he has been a supporter of me and doing the show and promoting the show. We're since, always ready yeah. to dive in at a moment's notice. Yeah. So there's been so many times, you know, and again, not to, I feel like I say this every time I talk about anything, but especially in this past year, yeah. you know, a lot of times things fall through, technical issues, guests can't make it, schedules yeah. conflict. And he's always good and game to get on 
and talk about anything. He'll give you, he always, like, he laughs about it. He's like, I'll mm. give you a tight 10 minutes on anything. But, yeah, truly, I mean, he's the unseen, the unseen man behind the yeah. scenes. Yeah, so thanks you know, to the him. The George Martin Tower Beatles, if you <laughs> want to keep the music references going. Uh, and that's pretty much everybody I've thanked. Uh, I gotta say. There's it, so many people. I mean, think about how many people we have that are, like, back pocket will come to oh the God, show. Oh, my God, so many folks. Between the people who are friends and do yeah. it because we make them and because we <laughs> let them hang out at our house when it's not pandemic times. Or, like, <laughs> even the people who are always good sports and down. You know, you got guys like a Phil Farda who for a long time was on the oh, show yeah. anytime you needed him. You know, there you got are, all sorts of people. There are no people who have ever come on this podcast, even people who I've had arguments on the show with, who I didn't walk out with uh, with a better relationship or with a better understanding of who that person was, if nothing else. I think that speaks to the fact that conversation and communication um, are always good for yeah. every kind of relationship. And for me, personally, you know, this podcast has given me a lot of really cool opportunities to talk with people I never really expected to talk to. It seems yeah, yeah. silly, uh, especially now in hindsight, because of how, uh, you know, how often you ended up talking to him. But the fact, if you told me in day one, oh, you're going to talk to the congressman a couple times for mm-hmm. Martin, I wouldn't have believed it because I would have been like, why? For what reason? Well, with people too, you know what I mean? Yeah. Sitting down at the mayor's office with yeah, your mayor's microphones office. on and being treated like, you know, I, whoever. Like, yeah, yeah there's a lot, a lot of different people. And I've, you know, and I guess it, it helps that there's so many people in the community who have been supportive of the show and reached out and have uh, wanted to be on the show, right? Like, I, I even go back to a guy like, uh, like Genesee Joe, right? Mm. Genesee Joe had been in Utica doing the radio thing for a really long time, and he, like, gave us an hour. Didn't have to. He, mm-hmm. he was happy to come do it. Like, I was for like, sure. this is fine, you know what I mean? Like, still to this day, I mean, him and Beth and Dave Coombs still fighting mm-hmm. to this day for the world's longest interview. They, they'll they go an hour with me if they... <laughs> I gotta get them back Easily. on. Easily. I gotta get Beth and Dave back on. Yeah. That's a tough one, because I don't like doing two people via Zoom. Does that no, make sense? You know impossible. what I mean? Like that's, that's, that's oh, Beth and Dave, if you're listening to this, the only reason I haven't asked you back yeah. on is because I'm I'm waiting until we can all be in a room together. So we can all be together again. All be know. together again. Uh, so yeah, that's it. That's enough of my earnest thank yous for everybody mm. for 300 episodes. It's only eight minutes. Not too bad. Thank yous. Yeah, there you go. Uh, let's do some. Uh, Let's do some light notes. And I guess this is a good place to start. Uh, I I am potentially starting a new job. I have some orientation stuff coming up. Mm. So. There is a potential that the tapings for at least the next couple weeks might be a little later in the day again. Might be going back to later times mm, for taping. Yeah, uh, which which means really nothing for you folks except the shows nothing. might. Nothing. No, it means you might lately over the last year. I would say people have been getting shows on late Monday nights. Mm. Uh, I would expect to see them more early Tuesday mornings now as yeah. we get into getting back to the the reality of life. So mm. just prepare yourselves for that. Uh, so thanks a lot. Uh, other quick notes this week. Uh, Kevin, after this podcast, you and I are going to dig into four hours of the Snyder Cut. Thoughts? What? Who? Listen. <laughs> Listen. You. You might. I don't think you have enough time. No, I don't. I don't think you have enough time with the time that it is no, right now. I don't, I don't. think that you I do. Don't. Uh, you know what's funny? I've been joking about the Snyder Cut for like, right. a couple days around the house with you. I really do have no intention of watching it because it really is the four-hour thing. I would watch this movie mm. if it was just, like, episodic or two hours long. I can't invest myself in a four-hour version of a movie that I feel like I've already watched. That you didn't and didn't like. <laughs> and didn't like. I saw that Justice League movie. It was not very good. I don't need another longer version of a movie I already didn't like that much. And what drives me nuts about it is every review I'm reading is like, it's actually good. And I'm like, I don't believe you. I do. <laughs> a lot of stuff is actually good. Someone's going to watch it. Someone who listens to this podcast has already watched the Snyder Cut, and they're going to send us a message and say it's actually good, and I'm going to say, yeah, great, and I'm still not going to watch four hours of it. Although we did watch 
Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which uh, was yeah, fine. It was a tight 29 minutes. Was it? I, mean, it was, I thought it was in the 40-minute range, sure. it felt like. But still, it yeah, was It like wasn't four hours. <laughs> under an hour. Oh, man. So, uh, yeah, Snyder Cut. I'll be doing that later on. Uh, I did notice, actually, a serious note. I have to get my car registered. So I think you can do that online. Yeah, probably. I had, like, two weeks to register my car yeah. before they come after me. Oh, yeah, I think you'll be all right. <laughs> I don't want them coming after me. Uh, and then I also think in between now and next week, uh, King Kong vs. Godzilla comes out, so I'll be mm. doing my full spoiler review. I don't think they let you watch that movie unless you watch the Snyder Cut first. It's like a unremarkable. Oh, yeah, yeah. I see. So I got gotta... You turn on the HBO app now, you can't watch anything until you log all four hours that Snyder Cut. <laughs> That's a shame. That's how it works now. Now the, oh. theaters, now the theaters are dead. Ah, oh, man. Uh, I wonder how long theaters will be dead. Probably Very short amount of time. Very short amount not of time, yeah, not dead at all. Not dead at all. Much like other things are always pronounced dead, it's not dead. Well, it's so interesting, too, because like, it will feel like this one group of movies will be like out of time, right? Yeah, like this one bit. period of movies, one year of weird HBO movies. I don't, I don't think it'll seem that way. Um, I we don't we don't remember anything about when movies came out. You know, a lot of movies would be hard pressed to remember what year they even came out. And most true. movies I don't go to see in theaters anyway. It's not like we were all going to see fifty movies a year in the theaters, and this is the one year we didn't. Was the last thing we went I to get the like theaters? two or three Endgame? Was it the last thing we went to the theaters? Yeah. Probably, yeah. Nothing past Endgame. That's how long. Yeah, it's I been. don't know. Maybe I saw like Joker. I think in the theaters. oh yeah, that's right. That's maybe right. that's it. Something along those lines, but yeah, I'm, so it's not like, I, I, I think that's a little bit overblown. I probably, probably would have gone to see King Kong vs. Godzilla in the theaters. Oh, yeah. I didn't yeah. go see the last Godzilla movie in the theaters, though, and I said I would then, so what's to say I would this time? Like, I yeah. guess, maybe because it's King Kong versus Godzilla, a very particular type of True. thing. Tough, for tough to get your engine revved up to get out there and go somewhere sometimes. Like, well, I'm going to go over there, it'll be out eventually. Well, uh, who knows the weather today, though. Everyone's revved up to get outside. Oh, my God, it's beautiful out. I love mm-hmm. it. Uh, that's why I'm going to go through the light news this week so we can go sit in the porch. That's my plan today. There you go. The porch. There you go. Let's talk about sports really quickly here because there's only a few things I want to talk about. Okay. Uh, right now, it is the middle of NCAA March Madness. Shout out to all 15 people who signed up for our NCAA bracket, considering I only set it up like as an afterthought. That's pretty good. Although, I am going to shame... Uh, GFOPs uh, Malik Gale and Luke Riddell who signed up for the the bracket mm. but then never filled the actual bracket. I out. respect it. <laughs> I respect it. Shout out to Malik and Luke. Both of you guys are my guys. Um, fully respect the move. Uh, at least fill out the numbers. I appreciate that if nothing else. Like mm. the number, round the numbers out to a nice solid 15. You know? uh, I just want to give a shout out this week. They lost yesterday but shout out to Proctor uh, standout Jalen Hawkins, mm. uh, who's playing for the Norfolk State Eagles, who lost to the number one seed Gonzaga on Saturday, so they're mm. out of the tournament. But everyone's probably going to lose to Gonzaga because Gonzaga's great. And I'm always trying to respect any former Proctor players. Oh, yeah, I always love to see somebody from the area, you know, a young man out there doing good, making it, and, yeah. you know, good for them. He'll be a, he's a redshirt freshman, I want to, or uh, junior, so I think he'll be back for one more year with North Very cool. State. You definitely get, uh, I mean, unless you're somebody who's like still stays deeply into sports or something, you get removed from it when you get, the further you get away from high school. If you don't like work at the high school or have kids there, you don't coach, or you're not involved in programs, you don't know the athletes that stand out. We've got a long history of athletes that come from Utica and the surrounding oh, yeah. areas that go on to be standouts. Well, it's funny, I was talking to, uh, to GFOB Justin this morning about, I wish that 
technology was a couple years more advanced because there's like very few videos of mm. that exist of like that Proctor team when I was graduating in the year before that was really good. Yeah, you, would, would, need, you would need like another ten years or so. Yeah, it's just not there. So. Like I was looking for Josh Wright highlight reels and I found like one video. Like yeah. it's like three minutes long. And it's all like standard definition VHS tape, right? Yeah. Like it's just not. Mm-hmm. It's just not there, which is a, which is a shame. Uh, I guess I'm underselling the big story though. The big story for locally is that the Syracuse Orangemen. 11 seed Syracuse Orangemen and Buddy Bayheim, who I've been dogging for two years, are going to the Sweet 16. They're playing basketball next week, Kevin. What do you think about the Syracuse Orangemen in the um, Sweet 16? It gives me one thing to care about in the madness of the tournament. I don't, I don't know the racket. I don't, like, I don't know these teams. I don't know the players. I don't care. It's all yeah. like very context-free. But I'm always happy for Syracuse to be doing well because so many people I know love Syracuse. I think Buddy Beheim is a hilarious concept. Uh, I hope he shoots him into a title and then becomes the mayor of Syracuse. We've been we've been laughing about it since the first game, but I think it was Kevin Harlan who calls the games referred to him as Jordan-esque. That was the performance. He said this is a Jordan-esque performance. A Jordan-esque performance from Buddy Beheim. Outrageous. I mean, here's the Syracuse fan in me who has a stupid Syracuse tattoo thinks to myself, I like when Syracuse is kind of bad. And then they get to the tournament and people have no... That's But that's just like PTSD and unresolved issues from years as a Bills and Knicks fan. Right. You're, right, you're only right. comfortable... You're not comfortable when your team is achieving. I, I've been told that this narrative is bullshit and that it's been debunked, but I feel like when Syracuse has high expectations, when they're in that high seed range, it doesn't always go well for them. The height of expectations mm. weighs on them, that weird 2-3 zone... But when you're playing in like a low seed and the expectations are low, they're a problem. They're just they're like they're playing loose. They've no they're playing with house money. I love it. Uh, it's also been a really big upset year for the rest of the tournament. Really strange, like, not strange. It happens every year, but it feels yeah. like there's a lot of big, massive upsets this year already. My bracket's certainly busted. Mm. Uh, do I think that Syracuse can win the national title? Obviously, they're definitely going to win the national title yeah, now. 100%. Certainly, hundred percent. I Bayheim. couldn't see what would stop them. <laughs> Can't see what would stop him Don't at all. Don't see it. Don't see it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there we go. That's uh, that's our March Madness news. Maybe next week on Monday we'll still be talking about Syracuse. Who knows? Who knows? Speaking of sports, an important one here. Uh, the World Series of Bocce, Kevin, is returning to the Tocolana Club in Rome this summer after canceling last year's event due to the coronavirus pandemic. That's right, Kev. The World Series of Bocce is uh. taking place in Rome, New York. Still working on guidelines, plan to follow uh, local health and safety regulations. Uh, if you want to enter a team or learn how to become a sponsor, go to www.tokalanaclub.com. Kevin, what are your thoughts on maybe like a bocce team? Eh? I mean, I would probably go out to the event, show sport. I've never played bocce. You've never I, played I, bocce? I guess I've like, I have a concept of what it is. I was but, thinking maybe mm. like the Paisans is a team name. Mm. <laughs> you really mm. lean into it? Just, you know. I'm, I'm no Paisan. God, you're my Paisan. That counts. Yeah, I don't know. I don't uh, know. We'll, we'll, be playing, we'll be playing horseshoes. It is essentially... It's kind of like horseshoes. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's like, are, a, a lot of those games are all kind of the same. I love bocce. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite like yard games. Uh, I used to hate cornhole, but I think I've kind of come around on it. Uh, There's something that's going to get taken out of context. Um, I never ended up playing it. I never... Cornhole? Anytime anything like that is going on and I'm somewhere... I don't like to be at a party and be tied to a location. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. If that makes sense. No, that makes sense. I, I feel you. I'm, I feel I'm you. standing over. I'm on the boards for two hours throwing these bean bags. Like, I, I just, I don't know. I don't always have the attention span for it, I feel like. No. In a social situation. I feel for you. It's a game that I played. It reminds me of camping. When we were kids, we used to have a bocce set at my camp in Boonville, and we would go up there and throw yeah, a bocce yeah, set around. And I think because of it, I have like a little bit of nostalgic buzz for it. But I, I Big time. I think that's a lot of it. But I do think it's a really interesting game. Mm. Like, it's a really nuanced, subtle game. Or I'm just, in my head, think it's more mm. uh, uh, more nuanced than it really is. But okay. I, I, it's a fun game. That's what I'm going to get one of these days. I'm going to get myself a bocce set. Like, a nice bocce set if I have a yard. I guess we don't have a yard for it. Maybe one the Handshake City. Ooh, Handshake Shuck City. Bocce. I'm talking just about this. I bet you pop into Paul's Pub, you find some old, old-timers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Find some old-timers to go throw the bocce with you downtown. Uh, some New York news here for you this week. Uh, Ronald DeFeo Jr., the convicted mm. killer whose 1974 murders spawned the Amityville horror franchise, mm-hmm. died last week while serving a 25-life uh, prison sentence. Uh, he, so the uh, this happened in 1975. During the trial for DeFeo, he pursued an insanity defense and claimed that he had heard voices telling him to kill his family. Mm. He was convicted in 1975 of six counts of second-degree homicide. The home and the killings became the basis of the horror movie classic, The Amityville Horror, after uh, another family member briefly lived there for about a year and claimed the house was haunted. Mm. Uh, The book and the resulting film franchise, including the 1979 original and the 2005 remake... Which is terrible. Which is not very good. Terrible, terrible. Ryan Reynolds, what a shame. uh, Portrayed a house with strange voices, walls that oozed slime, furniture that moved on its own, and other supernatural features the house was listed as recently as 2016 for a paltry 850,000. You know what's funny? I think when it was listed in 2016 we talked about it on this show. Probably did. I think we did. I think that came up in because I remember hearing that it was listed and I feel like this is where I would have heard about it. 850k if you want to get that was the most recent listing as of 2016. Uh, you know these Long Island prices are <laughs> Uh, DeFeo unsuccessfully sought a retrial in 1992 claiming that his 18-year-old sister uh, killed the five other family members and he had shot her. So it was like, yeah, it wasn't... Sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, I love my oh, family. Oh, you know what I just remembered 28 years later? I just remembered, turns out it wasn't me that did all those murders. It was my sister. Can I tell you that I actually feel like I've never really watched the original Amityville Horror. Like, I feel like I remember parts of it, but I don't mm. remember much of the entire story. I watched, I read the book when I was a kid. Mm. Uh, I was, I mean, I was into all this kind of yeah, stuff yeah, from yeah. a young age. Back when I used to be much much more concerned about poltergeists yeah, yeah. being a problem in my life than I am now when I was a young man. I was like, oh, one day the poltergeist will come uh, for us. Um, it was all right. It's one of those things I think when you watch it now, and this is always tough with you know horror or supernatural or whatever yeah. movies, when you watch them from so far back, you have to be the type of person that can kind of accept it and appreciate it as an artifact of its time. Yeah. yeah and I think yeah. some people have an easier time with that than others. Some people really like it. And like, oh, this is really cool to see the context of, like, 1973 and what making a movie was like back then and with the limitations and how they had to present it. And other people are pulled completely out of it because they're like, this is dumb. These people talk weird. They have haircuts. It looks weird. Like, well, you and me have had this it. conversation. I'm a big fan of, like, older mm-hmm. movies, even though I feel like some of them are tough. Like, French Connection is a movie that I love. Sure. But it's like, it looks like it was made in 1976. Uh-huh. And it feels like it was, it sounds like it. And that's either a thing for you or it's not, right? Yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah. I think that's pretty spot on. Yeah, I think Dog Day Afternoon is another one of those movies kind of like that. It feels very of a time when it came out. It's it's different with a movie like A Dog Day Afternoon or something like that because at least that's just like a regular story with regular people. But once you have to cast yeah. into... 
you know, the supernatural or the science fiction realm or the any kind of thing like that, and you start getting into effects and, you know, all that stuff, I think that makes it a little bit tougher sometimes to just relate to, oh, this is a human story of these human characters having this still very relatable experience, even though I'm watching this movie 30, 40, 50, 60 years later sometimes. Do you remember, this is a tough question, I don't know, where I, I didn't have this prepped. Do you remember the very first horror movie you saw? Uh, only kind of, mm-hmm. only kind of, and it was probably like a either Jason or Freddy situation yep. Yep. at a really young age because mm-hmm. I had um I'm in about the middle of a pack in a group of 22 cousins on my mom's side yeah, yeah, yeah. for age range, mm-hmm. so we definitely had older cousins that were into movies in the late eighties and early nineties, and we'd all get together and like you know be cordoned off into a yeah. room at like family functions or whatever. Definitely caught some of those movies back then, but those are the ones that stand out as the first ones I saw. I was a huge scaredy cat, and I had two older sisters. Mm. So for me, there are three things that, oh, four things, I guess, that stick out specifically. One, I remember being at my grandparents' house, walking into the living room, and all the older cousins were like, no, don't come in here. And then Mm. I looked at the screen, Jason showed up, and I was like, what's that? Oh, my God. And I was terrified. Yeah. Uh, Another one that was kind of like that was Poltergeist. Mm -hmm. Like Poltergeist existed in my older teenage sister's sort of realm of movies it was on. For sure. And that one sort of stuck with me. Yeah. However, I would say that there's two specifically that really I think about all the time because I was invested. My parents would rent movies sometimes that were for adults only. Sure. Right, horror movies, scary movies, things they wanted to watch that I couldn't watch. But I would get pissed off. So I'd go upstairs and I would like lay on the floor. Instead of the edge of the stairs. Yeah, and watch the movie. Uh, and there were two movies that I did that for specifically that haunted me for years to come. Mm. Neither of them are... Well, one of them is not really a great movie. One of them was Misery. Mm. I didn't understand what was unsettling about Misery as a kid. Oh, I mean, well, except for the blatantly unsettling parts. Like, But that movie sort of s- stood on the periphery that I wasn't supposed to be watching it, and it was scary, and I shouldn't see it. And it was very captivating. Yeah, I remember yeah. that was a movie that I was not allowed to watch, but I remember it being talked about a lot too. And my mom and my aunt, they were big Stephen King fans. Yep. And they would tell me like what was in it and why I couldn't yeah. watch yep. it. <laughs> but they wouldn't. They're just like, yeah, this is you know, it's not really for uh, you yet at this point. And then the other one was Arachnophobia, which is not really a great movie, uh. but was popular. And I remember my family rented that, and I like did the same thing. And I didn't care for spiders afterwards. Mm. Not a huge fan of spiders even today. I got to bring it back around. Spiders a friend. No, it's true. Uh, bugs are friends. We're going to get to that story actually. Not all the bugs. Well, uh, uh, spiders are, and then I got one more specifically we'll get to later on. Okay, cool. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Uh, let's get into some, I guess, I mean, we're already pretty late into these. So we'll just blast through some of the serious news. Yeah. Uh, New York State following the U.S. government this week when it comes to taxes, uh, extending your federal uh, and New York State tax deadlines to May 17th. Mm. So if you were concerned that you weren't going to get your taxes done, congratulations. You bought yourself a... A late pass, a rain check. You you know what? Here's my my unsolicited, unqualified tax advice. You can file them whenever. They'll take them. They'll take them. No matter when you send them in. Believe me, they'll take them. Uh, Kev, believe it or not, uh, stimulus checks have hit for a lot of people already. Uh, And it seems like, according to Bank of America's Global Research Department, that people are spending a lot of their money on athletic footwear and athletic apparel. Mm. Uh, huge jumps this week. Uh, a 6.5% jump on sneakers and a 10% jump on golf equipment since the checks have come in. Mm. You know what people are spending their money on. Uh, I feel like, I've talked about this before in the past, if I had tons of money, if I was like, if money was no object for me, sure. what are the things I would collect? 
I think sneakers, I know it's a basic thing, but I feel like I would have a shit ton of sneakers. Mm. Like, so many sneakers if I just had unlimited money. I might have a lot of shoes, but I don't feel like I would, like, collect a well, lot of shoes. We've talked about this before. You're 6'5". It's hard for you to find shoes that fit. Yeah, no, at this size, it's hard to yeah. get them if you're not getting into, like, custom sizes they are smaller. But it's not even just, like, about that. I just, I feel like I wouldn't be that precious with it. You know what I mean? There's stuff I like, but I'd rather, I would rather collect guitars. And so guitars, yeah, guitars. I no think object would be music equipment. Yeah, guitars, me. music. So equipment. I, I would, I would certainly own a lot of shoes and a lot of sneakers, but it just wouldn't like you wouldn't come to my house and see a display case or something, you know. There was definitely a time in my life where that would have been flat brim hats. Would own like every flat brim hat available, which is hilarious because now I don't think you'd put on a flat brim hat if you lost a bat. So I would say as I get older, I copied the CC Sabathia method of wearing a hat, which mm-hmm. is I want the brim a little bit curved. Oh, I yeah. want it pulled down pretty low, mm-hmm. which my mom thinks looks stupid when I wear a hat to their house. But like mm-hmm. that's just your mom. Twenty years <laughs> deep now, thinking everything you do looks stupid. <laughs> uh, but I think when I was in high school, that was like the, I was always trying to copy CC, who had like the low and slim. It wasn't a flat brim necessarily; it had a little tiny bit of a curve to it. Yeah. But he wore it real low. It was super intimidating. Shout out to CC mm. Sabathia, one of my favorite people. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's do a little more news here before we get to the break. Oh, uh, do you know Chuck Schumer was in town this week? He was in town this morning. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Chuck Schumer stopped in Utica to promote relief measures on Monday morning for the American Rescue Plan Act. Uh, Schumer, uh, alongside local elected officials, discussed the relief outside of Chesterfield Tavolos in North Utica. In his first visit to Utica since he ascended to the leading role in U.S. Senate, Schumer praised the city for its food culture while outlining the Restaurant Act included in the uh, the $1.9 trillion stimulus package. Uh, Talking about the Restaurant Act, Schumer said it's flexible and will last until September. This is important to a city like Utica known for its restaurants. True. I'm kind of surprised that Schumer hasn't been here before because when I was living in Brooklyn, he was in Brooklyn for any event. Well, I, he's he's been here. Yeah. We only assume the leadership. Yeah, yeah. What they, they said oh, this right. is the first so, yeah, time yeah, he's yeah. been here in the last three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's not here that much. I feel like he's pretty accessible. He's he around. Up, he does his thing. I don't know if he would do it anymore since the temperature has kind of risen up since like 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he used to very famously every year at the Boilermaker, he would show up at the Boilermaker. Yeah. And just go out into the crowd and just let himself get, like, passed through the thick of the crowd. He'd have, like, two or three security guys with him. But he'd just be out there shaking hands, rubbing up against, literally just rubbing up against people like he was making his way back to the bathrooms at a concert. You know what I mean? Like, just, like, weaving his way through and just shaking hands and people are yelling at him. And some people, they're all saying nice things. And some people are like, you're a real piece of garbage. He's like, oh, you know, I don't know. It just keeps going. (laughs) (laughs) And he would have, like, you know, aides who kind of follow, like, stuff. signs, like, real, like, Chuck Schumer and this and that. Because I met him in, it was the summer. You met him? It, it had to be, yeah, yeah, the summer of 2017. And he was coming at the Boilermaker, and I was mm. at Saranac. Oh, that's right. I didn't think about in that. In charge of the post-race party when he came through and met everybody. I got a chance to, you know, just chit-chat with him for a couple of minutes and see him when he was out there and everything. And, I think... and it's always funny when you, it's always funny to see anybody you've seen primarily on television or something in real life. I'm definitely conflating two events, and I'm mm. totally wrong here, but I want to say he showed up at Brooklyn at, like, a summer concert festival. Oh, yeah. That's like, got, just that's got, showed up. Yeah, that's got yeah. a big vibe. Like, they were doing, like, a free concert at, like, Red Hook Park, mm. somewhere in New York, yeah. and we went to go, I want to say it was, like, 
is going to sound stupid. Like Dan Deacon. You know Dan Deacon? Yeah, sure. I want to say it was like Dan Deacon. And he was just like, hi, is everybody having a good time? And everyone's like, yeah, Schumer! We he's love on. this guy. He's partying. <laughs> he's partying. Oh, man, people love to see it. Um, American Rescue Plan is expected to provide more than $100 billion to New York uh, through various avenues. State government will receive more than $12 billion, closing the gap highlighted by... Is he disgraced Governor Andrew Cuomo now? Have we gotten to that point? Oh, yeah. I mean, sure. Yeah. He's, <laughs> sure. Always, he's always been disgraceful. A little bit disgraceful. Yeah, a little disgraceful. What a jerk. Uh, all right, so Fine. there you go. Uh, Schumer. Let's, uh, you know what? This story's crummy, so I'm going to move past it. I was going to talk about this really shitty uh, Jay Baker, this cop from Atlanta who was like the shooter, had a really bad day, but I'm not going to do that. We're, yeah. I'm not going to waste, he's a piece of shit, that guy. He's a bad dude. Don't Don't listen to him. Uh, let's do something a little lighter for the sure. 100th episode. Are you ready? Uh, earlier this, this might be our most popular segment we've ever done. Okay. Uh, earlier this week, the American Kennel Club released its rankings of the most popular dog breeds mm. of 2020. This is the type of stuff that's kept me coming back 300 weeks in a row. <laughs> this kept you coming I'm back. not even kidding. I like this. This is good. Uh, the most popular, of course, is the Labrador Retriever, which it has been for 30 straight years. Mm. The Labrador Retriever. Makes sense. However... There is a new number two dog in the United States. That's right. Displacing the German Shepherd, the number two most popular dog in the U.S. is the French Bulldog. Oh, people love Frenchies. That is correct. Frenchies, yeah. wrinkled faces, perky bat ears have risen in popularity in the last ten years, says Brandy Hunter, a spokesperson from the AKC. As more people see them and learn about the breed, they find out what a great breed it is. Fun, smart, adaptable, easy to care for, and a good companion. Mm. Uh, do you want to hear the top ten, Kev? Wildly expensive, the French Bulldog. Crazy expensive. A lot of health problems. Uh, you know what's funny? A lot of health problems. I ran into GFOP Zach Wilson when I went to go uh, help him out with some stuff at the house. He had the issue with the house. Mm. And he has a beautiful, a beautiful Bulldog. Not a French Bulldog, mm. but an American Bulldog. Yeah. And I've always... And I've, Miss I've, Molly. And I've fallen <laughs> into this trap before where I love Bulldogs. He would let you have Molly, I think. I can't, they might I can't let you have take another movie. disgraced animal. I already have Charles. No, 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 good, good. Uh, <laughs> I'd be a dog. Molly, uh, great dog, great dog. But mm. I have been under the impression that bulldogs are unhealthy, and they don't last very long, and they're expensive, and they have a tough life. And that's why I've always been kind of gun shy mm. to get a bulldog on my own. Sure. But every time I run into a bulldog, I'm like, this is the greatest animal I've ever seen. I yeah. love them so much. Mm-hmm. Here's your top ten, by the way. Number one, Labrador Retriever. Number two, French Bulldog. Number three, mm-hmm. German Shepherd. I love a German Shepherd. You know, I like a German Shepherd. I don't know if I, I would take a, any kind of retriever over a German Shepherd. I Do you know like what the, the thing is? I think with a German Shepherd, much like many other breeds of dog, is a German Shepherd needs... Land. Like, it needs land, it mm-hmm. needs work, it needs stimulation, it needs exercise. Like mm-hmm. It just, that's a lot of dog. And if you if you can't properly care for, train that dog, and give it what it needs, it's going to eat your couch. Yep. And like, tear your house shreds, you know what I mean? Uh, number three, German Shepherd number four, Golden Retriever number Nothing. five. Great. Just yeah. top cool. level golden retriever. You prefer a golden over a lab? I do, yes. I, I can understand. I'll tell you what, though. If somebody wanted to tell me they're going to base the their difference on the hair the alone. Hair. Yeah. Yeah. I played with a Labrador retriever earlier this week. A puppy Labrador retriever. I played with one today. Oh, man. What a what an animal. Mm-hmm. What, a, what, a, what a beast. Uh, number five, the bulldog. The English-style bulldog. Number six, the poodle. Number seven, the beagle. Mm. Which I gotta be honest, I love a beagle nostalgically, but and, and I have friends of mine who have beagles, but they are troublesome dogs. Yeah. Love them, great looking dogs. Beagle is lower on my list. I'm not. I don't want the howling. <laughs> yeah, and it's no good. Yeah, it's no good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Number eight, Rottweiler. Number nine. Love a Rottweiler. Love a Rottweiler. Rottweiler I will, gets I a bad will, rep. I will probably get a Rottweiler at some point in my life. A little more space and stuff like that. Despite my best judgment, I'll probably buy a bulldog somewhere in my life. Despite That's my, there's nothing, despite here, here's, my best here's, judgment, here's I, the thing about the bulldog thing. You know, people are talking about you don't want to perpetuate the terrible, the breeding, the no, stuff know, that goes yeah. on. But once they're out there and they're alive, those breeding dogs animals. need care and love anyway. You know what I mean? But just know you, you, the thing with it is you're kind of signing yourself up maybe for some some heartache, heartache and some expense yeah. at the vets too. But if you can do that and you're somebody who can deal that, deal with that. You know, every dog needs a good home. Uh, number nine, German short-haired pointer. Uh, mm. I'd have to look it up. I couldn't tell you what that is. And number ten, the dachshund. My sister mm. had a dachshund. I got to tell you, they're not um, super friendly. Many little dogs are not super not friendly. super friendly. Uh, mean with kids, bad with kids. Uh, you know what it is? I don't think it's even that, that little dogs aren't friendly by nature. Although sometimes they can be a little more scared because they're small. But I think a lot of times behavior that would be corrected out of larger dogs and training gets let go from little dogs because it's like not that big of a deal right like if your dachshund is a little bit nippy ah, it's a little bit nippy and people are like oh he's cute he can't bite look how little he is whereas if your german shepherd's a little bit nippy you're going to jail and he's going that's to the big sleep you know what i mean <laughs> that's true. you this, here's something you can't probably relate to mm-hmm. when i was a kid i played football at donovan middle school and i was a very small young man and i played uh defensive end and tight end mm-hmm. i was an end great end uh, and I had a coach one time refer to me as a chihuahua because I'm a little guy, mm. but I'm not afraid. Come mm. after you. I'm fighting around, biting at your ankles. I ain't ready to give mm. up yet. I'm not the biggest dog in the fight, but I got a lot of spunk, essentially. Mm. And I thought about that as a kid, and I was like, oh, that's a good compliment. Now as I get older, I'm like, is that a compliment? I don't know if that's a compliment. <laughs> this, like, small, depressing kid is doing better than you guys do better. Is that essentially what they told me? Uh, I think, I don't... <laughs> The sad-looking Italian kid with no muscles and no, like, athletic ability is trying real hard. You guys need to do better. That's essentially what I was used for. Uh, you might be <laughs> you might be over-ruminating <laughs> a little bit. Well, this is my second glass of whiskey. So I fly and fly. It's only early. I know. we got 20 minutes left. All right. We've gone way too long. Uh, but let's get into this week's interview. Uh, returning for her third time. Uh, we're really happy, happy to have her. She announced recently she is running for first ward uh, council person. Katie Aiello, her third time on the show. Uh, I don't know why people on the internet told us we weren't friends. I had Did someone, they? Someone was like, how come you don't ever have Katie on the show? How come you don't support her? I'm like, I talked to Katie Katie's all on the show. What, do you mean? <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm like, Katie's here all the time. I you don't support her. I, I support Katie. Yeah, she's a great people. I'm happy to have a conversation people with her. On the internet. Get hobbies. Learn how to play drums. You know, I'll, get off the internet. How to play learn drums. how to play the drums, and you can be in a band with us. I'll tell you something about. Uh, Talk about that. I'll tell you something about Kate. She does a great job uh, engaging with people through social media in a way that I was talking to her about during the interview that I struggle with. Mm. Really happy to just put herself like on the screen. Like, talking about something she feels super comfortable about and just do the thing. And I feel like that gets over more than almost anything else she does. Just mm. the straightforward, look into the camera, have a conversation. Well, that's cool. Really smart. Uh, so we're happy to have her on the show. Uh, I know she was doing the media run this morning, so she was, uh, she was stressed out. But we're happy to have her on for our 300 episode. KBILO will be back in just a moment.
How's it going? Good. Yeah, how are you? Uh, I'm good. As you as you may remember, you're, we're already recording because I am bad at Zoom, so I have to immediately go in. And of course, uh, congratulations on being here on episode 300. Dude, I'm honored. This is great. Congrats. Well, I feel bad because uh, for the last few weeks, for my sake, because I'm like a bad producer, I've been really been like, I'm not doing anything special for 300. It's a normal episode. And I feel bad that I said that because people are going to be like, oh, you're a dog and I'm Katie. And I think that the internet already thinks that we're not friends. Right. So, <laughs> no, I have a lot of enemies now since I'm uh, running for office as it goes. So it's perfect. Uh, why do you, I, I thought that was so funny. I just want to, and I want to touch upon it just for a second because I, you know, I wonder what it is why people get this impression about relationships that people have because of like internet stuff. Like, I don't know why people were under this impression that we had some issue with you on the show or some reason. I don't know why. I don't know either. I never, <laughs> and people aren't clear. They just always make these assumptions. And I, and honestly, I usually think they're referring to something else and then it creates more issues. And no. Uh, Cause not only do we, uh, do we love having you on the show? This is actually your third time Right. on the show congratulations you've Thank you. been the very exclusive three timers club here in episode 300 it's fitting it's perfect uh so let's let's go back in time for just a moment before we mm -hmm. dig into some of the other stuff here uh number one the last time we had you on the show was august 24th of 2020 which was almost exactly right. seven months ago almost exactly seven months oh, ago wow. yeah i know time flies doesn't it um uh, we talked a lot about COVID stuff at that time. We were right in the middle of everything. Uh, how does things feel from your end now as a business owner? Does it feel like things are clearing up a bit for you guys in, in the new? It, it does. It's finally picking up and the relief of people are being vaccinated helps. Mm -hmm. But as it's picking up, it's like the adrenaline rush, like that energy dump that happens after like, oh my God, I got through it. <laughs> now I just want to like go nap for like three months, but now it's picking up. So you can't. Uh, so it's, a hard mental, physical load, I guess. Well, and on top of that, you've decided that for some reason, as business is picking back up, that you are going to run again for Utica Common Council in the first ward. Congratulations on deciding to run again. Yeah. Uh, why did you decide it was time to dig back into this political wormhole? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. Uh, I always say, I guess I'm just really concerned about where the city will be in 20 years. Sure. 20, 30, 45, I don't know, but it's, um, I'm definitely concerned. And I figured it's one of those things, you know, in 2019, I never planned to get into politics, but I always say like working in my coffee shop and all you see from the front doors of those windows on Genesee street of sorts, it's, you, you can't unsee it. The hurt, the poverty, the confusion, people who are upset of they're just not being heard. There's good things happening too, but it's not, that's also not being communicated. So it's, I remember in 2019 when the person who's serving now was running, I went around all over town for like two weeks saying, who's going to run against her? Because we need change in the ways that she wasn't offering. And, um, and then I realized, crap, it's me. <laughs> so it's like nobody else is doing it. I'm like, oh, I, that might be, uh, I have to do it. So I knew I was going up against a pretty strong incumbent who had a lot of support from the Democratic Party. My district in first ward of Utica is, they vote 70% favor Democrats every single time. Mm -hmm. Lowest voter turnout also. So it's, without that line, it's very hard. So I already knew being with the Independence Party and having other lines is an uphill battle, but I was at least hopeful we could bring up really important issues. So fast forward to, uh, I lost, <laughs> obviously. Um, but then in 2020, we lost ballot lines, which is an interesting thing to me. 
So all like Independence Party, um, Libertarians, a bunch of them, those are gone. So for me, this is a long drawn out answer, but I will tell you, for me, it turned into, um, okay, out of the lines that are left, who do I want to be affiliated with? So I figured the Democratic Party, it's time to just, those really do align with my values at its core. So uh, which kind of opened the door to, I guess, running changed things in my district of now it would be a primary. Now it's Advent. It's a lot easier um, in some regards. And that said, I always said after I lost in 2019 that I wouldn't run again unless people asked me to. And then they started asking me to. I was like, oh, crap, here we go again. <laughs> so... Have you gotten any pushback from people now that you've sort of gone on this Democratic Party affiliation? Have you gotten any pushback in general from folks? A ton. I am stunned and annoyed. I'm also like, I just got off of a call, so I'm pretty heated right now of other stuff. So, um, which I appreciate your interview style setting. I feel like it can be more candid and more about the story of the person. Well, my, is, my plan is not to make you, you upset know? is my big plan today. No, <laughs> and you're not. But um, yeah, the freaking, and this is why I never joined the Democratic Party to begin with is all the gatekeeping. You're never left enough. You're never anything enough. And it just drives me insane. So you spend all this time talking about that. And people ask me, they want me to like prove to them that I'm a Democrat. And meanwhile, we're missing out on all the points of what's happening in the first word instead of, if, unless my actions have made them concerned otherwise, I don't see the point in this conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I think, uh, and I've talked about it with almost every. Uh, every candidate, every council person, every congressman, every politician who's come on the show, especially in a district like this, in an area locally, in a non-national election, party is less important than being active in the community, being a part of the community, like being engaged with what the actual needs of your community are. That seems to weigh more heavily in a local election than you see in the national election, which are just so politicized. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or Libertarian, it has nothing to do with how the potholes get fixed or what we do with feral cats. So on a local level. What do we do yeah. with feral cats? It's an ongoing. <laughs> yeah. I'll uh, wait until I'm actually on the council to worry about that one. <laughs> so you're in the, the signature gathering portion of the uh, of the process, which I've talked a little bit about with, with Delvin uh, and uh, Celeste recently. How's that mm -hmm. going for you? Well, we are finished. So March 22nd is the debt. Well, you can start filing the petitions. Mm -hmm. So it COVID sucked with this. It's, you know, yeah. you knock on a door with a mask and people are already weirded out and like they can't see who you are. Yeah. So in the end, I needed 31 signatures. The game though, is you want to at least triple it because what happens next is it goes to board of elections and it's open for a process that people have a three-day period to challenge them. They can submit a general objection and then they have five days to submit to specific. And the game is to try and if it's somebody wants me off the ballot, they're going to try to kick off 50 signatures of mine mm -hmm. and say, oh, you missed an apartment number. Oh, that doesn't look like their signature. And then it goes to uh, the Board of Election Commissioners who have to both agree on the objection. And then you can fight it, but in court. <laughs> so has the that, the Board of Elections stuff that happened with uh, with. Penny and Brindisi, that doesn't affect you guys at all, does it in any way? No, I was really concerned about turnover. I think I, I had an unpopular opinion that as rough as Rose Grimaldi and Caroline Cardone, like it were a part of everything, I was more concerned about having somebody inexperienced this year right. on top of COVID and trying to fix all the issues from before. Yeah. Because we still don't have oversight. There's still no accountability measures that we are seeing that, that we can have assurance that it'll be fixed. 
Well, hopefully, you know, we've talked about this uh, in our in our messaging before this, but, uh, you know, I still feel like there hasn't been a clear answer to me about totally what happened there. And I still want to know exactly what went on. And I feel like we just sort of moved past it because everyone got tired. <laughs> That's right. My, yeah. <laughs> I remember when I ran in 2019, the first time um, the conversation was, it was the first time early voting ever happened. Mm-hmm. So it, the Board of Elections was kind of a zoo of like, wow, we have a lot more to do, no more resources, let's go. And they did the best they could. Um, from what I can gather. And then 2020 here hits COVID, but it's a presidential election. All the new things that exist before you didn't have to do signatures until like the summer. Yeah. And then the primaries were in the fall and it was just a much easier process, I think from a candidate's point of view. So then board of elections, there's all of this newness. So I, um, yeah, firm believer the election commissioners are a reflection of the parties who nominated them mm-hmm. and uh, the county led who voted them in. So it's a bigger issue. So uh, looking forward, what are your next sort of like uh, steps on the road going forward on the campaign trail? Like what comes up next for you as your next sort of gateway or guy, uh, or dateline you have to hit? Right. I think my answer to this is always very underwhelming for people, like what my goals even are if I win. And it's I just want to meet as many people as possible, hear their stories and be a representative who can represent them over my own value, like my own concerns. Uh, there will be times that we disagree on stuff and we'll just have to see like the weight of the district, but that's going to take a lot of, you know, the same things happening. I knock on a door, say I'm running for common council and they say, what's the common council? So we have to fix that. (laughs) Um, My district also has the lowest voter turnout completely. So there's 3,500 of us who vote. Dig into that. I I just want to make, so to make sure our folks know, we're talking about the first ward here, which I think most people just refer to as downtown Utica, uh, which you talk a little bit about on your website, which uh, we'll get into in just a second. But can you give a general idea for folks who don't know what the first ward actually encompasses so they have a better idea? Yeah, thank you. It's basically, uh, I think from, I would say, Barnes Ave to Millgate, which uh, like Barrick Street to uh, pretty far down on Lansing Street in Rucker. And then you go from Broad Street up to South, or then there's also that little section behind um the Munson Williams Proctor Institute location. So yeah, I have a map on my website if you want to see it. (laughs) Uh, And I always want to mention, you know, it's something we talk about all the time when you're on the show. Uh, The website is katieforutica.com. You can go check it out. You always have a very nice aesthetic style with all your stuff. I feel like you always choose very like striking, bold designs. And in in typical, I think the site looks very nice. You did a good job as well. Thank you very much. Yeah, (laughs) it means a lot. Uh, so let me ask you just a couple of broad questions about first ward, just, uh, in your mind, and I'll, I'll give you any leeway to go whatever re- direction you want here. What would you say are your biggest f- issues facing the first ward right now? Mm, uh, constituent engagement as much as, uh, like voters need to take responsibility mm. and it's a fine line to, you know, you don't want to come in accusatory of that. So, but once we have that piece, it's going to open up a whole new can of worms of, okay, let's start to make a cohesive downtown. And by downtown, I don't just mean the busy corner where my business is that gets all the love while the rest of the city really doesn't get the same value and resources. Mm -hmm. So between that and then also really letting people know and not uh, that the first word is more than a downtown. So I want to talk about what's happening on Mohawk Street and Blandina and these people who have lived there for decades or they're, you know, they're refugees and they just came here. So for every time somebody, I know the hospital's a hot button issue. I know Nexus is here. There's things that matter and deserve conversation, but there's enough people having those conversations. So I'm going to just focus on 
our neighborhoods. I'm always stunned when the hospital thing comes up because I felt like we already moved past the hospital thing. Irrelevant. I don't. And then I feel like people are yelling at me like, why are you so hung up on it? I'm like, dude, I'm not talking about it. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm more hung up by the weird skeleton of the Nexus building that is weird when I drive. And that, that is weirder to me than anything else. I'm just I like, like to call it an art sculpture, as I've said, you know, that's yeah, it's give it some like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so what's something you can actually do like, I'm some some curious upping engagement feels like one of those like it's gonna sound stupid but it's like oh no duh of course you want to up engagement but how do you actually go about like getting more people to be engaged is it just listening to them is it just being on the ground is it just like opening yourself up to them basically yeah it's just as boring and slow as it sounds like there's no glory in this side of it a lot of times it sucks and it's just it's the interesting part is people need to air their grievances. You know, I'm a person who firmly believes in therapy. And when you speak things out loud, it can be very healing, especially to like a listening ear who like can understand where you are. So it's that like the city weirdly needs. Um, but also it's a fine line of not, of being like constructive with it saying, okay, that's what's happened. Now, where are we going? Not to like sit in that. So I'm okay with like, some people go on for like hours on certain things, but the, the goal is to always steer that in the right way. Also, I feel like our city is very divided. So as much as I'm doing externally, like in the actual community, internally, the common council is very confusing. The city politics is very confusing of who needs like, whether it comes down to credit or ideas or people even elected officials oh, not being heard. I see. And like the social construct there, it's just, again, I don't fit in. The Republicans, beginning with the Independence Party, Republicans always thought I was a Democrat. Democrats always thought I was with the Republicans. So now I feel like I, since I'm actually a Democrat, still nobody listens to each other. <laughs> so it's like how to navigate that is what I want to help with. I don't know how to say this without coming off like a jerk. So I'll try and say Either it. way to start any sentence, go on. Uh, well, not, not to you. I just, I feel like this happens in a lot of avenues and different jobs I've been in and that other people have been in. And it's this common refrain from people about like, we could just do better in general, if we could all move past like the petty bullshit, like you ever watch like uh, an episode of like The Sopranos and think to yourself like, you know, if these guys could just like talk to each other for three minutes, they wouldn't have a problem. But it's all like macho posturing. I think the city can hire a peer mediator on yeah. staff at all yeah. times. Uh, yeah. Even to know how to like, hey, because there's no school to be a politician. You just either you're born into it and the money will take you there or you're a, a civilian with a civic duty who wants to just try to make the world a better place. Either way, you're making it up. Um, so there should be, I agree with something to that extent. I wouldn't be totally against the idea because I've talked about this as a guy who uh, identifies as a musician growing up and played saxophone and guitar and drums and all that kind of stuff. And I always think to myself, like some people have a natural inclination for this and some people have to learn it and everyone can learn it but certain people are always just going to be a little bit better than everybody else in it because they're born that way. And I wonder if there's a political version of this because I've always been fascinated in politics, but I, I feel like I have no interest in the machinations of politics, but like, I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I'm sort of inspired, not inspired is the word because I certainly don't want to run into politics now, but I'm, I'm, it's admirable that you would want to like do this sort of almost thankless position job in a certain it's way. It's annoying. It's this, I don't know. And people don't talk about it. That's the, you know, another annoying part about like a candidate that I feel like I can, I can say here, but not on social media. Of, it, it's this weird, only, a very few amount of people actually run, even less people 
win. <laughs> so to find people who can understand and relate to your experience, like when the days it sucks and you get so many doors slammed in your face, I can't just tweet about it because then it's weaponized or it's, you know, you don't want to people, your constituents to feel like a burden if you're complaining. So you need to have a really healthy way to an outlet to take care of that roller coaster that's going to keep happening. Yeah. And I think you have to be really strong as far as your idea of like what identity identifying qualities, I guess, in a person, it's like, you need to really know who you are because everybody, if they see you're doing good, they're going to come for you and want a piece of it. Yeah. If they see you're doing bad, they're going to jump on it to try to look like the good guys. And if you just need to be laser focused on the mission. So let's talk quickly about the internet thing. Cause I actually do think, uh, you know, I, I give you a lot of credit as well, because, and this is not just from a politics, you know, I, I have lost my edge for social media. I'm tired. I'm burned out. I think I've been on Twitter for almost like 12 years now, which is really wow. sad. Uh, Cause I was on it really early, like really, it was right in the, I think we jumped, I was playing in a band when we had like a MySpace page, which I think you could probably still find on the internet. Don't go look it up kids. I really uh, am. <laughs> uh, uh, but you know, like I, I was on social media early. So now I feel like I go on Twitter and I just I feel like I'm looking for stuff now. Like I'm looking for stuff I'm, I want to engagement. I don't know. I, I also follow too many politics people in yeah. the wake of the election. Like mm -hmm. in the, in the buildup to the 2020 election, I started following all sorts of like, uh, you know, politics, journalists, national journalists, local journalists. Like I, now my entire feed is clogged with it. And I feel like I, I need to go back and like limit. And then I, I same problem. Like I asked myself, what is actually being done? Yeah. yeah. And how many times are we going to talk about like, parties over the people or over the policies and it's like i'm in the same boat of like i've never been more invested and obsessed and in love with the first word and knowing what can come of it but i've also never been more burned out and just done with politics so it's very confusing <laughs> so oh. when the people like new harvard chime in and want to have, have the conversation of what my like people in the district with low income and like have no resources and voices uh like like represented for them it's I'm just done. And I don't know how to have those conversations. And you always need to communicate with people to keep hopefully the conversation going so we can get things done. Well, you know what I think too, and this is going to sound silly. I feel like we lost as a community, as a global community, as a national community. I feel like we lost a year's worth of like personal interactions, just small. Yeah. And like, I feel like everyone's a little like amped up. Everyone's really antsy and ready to get back out. And I feel like every interaction I have with any person is either highly positive or fraught with concern and negativity, depending on where you go. And I wonder if that carries over. Like, you know, to, I think you, not you, you, the Royal, you've picked a bad time to be a politician. Cause I feel like there's just a natural unrest with people over the last, you know, with whether it's yeah. COVID or whether the fallout of stuff. Again, I, I have a lot of respect for what you, you guys want to do. I, I hope that too. And now I, there's like that theory of how everybody you know, in America, we have the participation grade in classes. So yep. it's people are rewarded to have opinions and they don't even have to be good opinions. So nice. it's, it creates this monster and how many times you actually ask people like, oh, what are your thoughts? Like, I will talk about the hospital. Like there's so many good debates and conversations with eminent domain and urban planning. But when you get into the actual details of it, there's only so few people left. But uh, what was I gonna say to that? Well, the point out, I think you're getting somewhere though because I find that your best engagement stuff on line is when you do the little short video series because I don't those get the best response because that's not a 240 character mm -hmm. uh, 
sentence that can be taken in or out of context. Now people can look at this video and get more context to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Nuance is lost on the internet. Yeah, I really stumbled into that whole thing on accident too. If like I did video production for years, I always say I hated being in front of the camera. It's just not, I hate it. But I, so I would never have believed I would have started doing that. And I really recommend it for some people if they want, but it helps for me. I need context. I need to be able to frame the whole conversation. And most social media is only a certain amount of characters. And if you make it too long, it, they're going to stop reading. <laughs> so yeah. if you can captivate people with a different medium, it really helps. Or, uh, they, or they weed themselves out and they're just done listening and then they keep scrolling, which is also great. I've fallen into the trap where I only use the Uticast Twitter account and I never use my personal Twitter account. And now it feels weird for me to go back and use my regular Twitter account because I don't engage in it all that much. And I'm like, uh, I, I, I now saw like Sam like to tweet with Uticast. I'm like, who's that? I, I can't do that. I have to like, uh, who's this SF Doom character? Uh, yeah, I, 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 Netflix and Twitter are my next two on my hit list that I'm, I'm real close to being like, do I really need this in my life anymore? Those well, are have you created any new hobbies in your life that have fulfilled you in some way? Well, I, 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 I don't want to get it too much. Not that Netflix and Twitter is fulfilling, but sometimes it's interesting. No, I don't, I don't want to get too much into the fact that I, I might be starting a new job uh, this week or next week. I'd rather not get into that right this moment. We'll but talk about I, that. Yeah. But I will say that in the time between when I left my previous job and going back now, I have spent too much time on social mm-hmm. and playing video games and putting on weight and not doing yoga. And I feel like there is a... There's a certain negativity that I feel like I'm coming out of, which is very promising. Right. <laughs> uh, and social media does not help me with that in any particular way. Because there was definitely a time, especially like pre-election and even after the election, when I was just doom scrolling every morning. You wake up really early and then you spend the next hour of your morning reading the news, quote unquote, but really just like scrolling through comment sections and Twitter stuff. And be like, I'm already in a bad mood within 40 minutes of waking up. And I've tried to get away from that part of my day. It's so true. And it's an interesting thing that you're saying because this year I feel like more than ever, and maybe it's COVID or you know all of it, but when I did knock on the door, like the people who did answer, they were so grateful to talk to me. And they're like, wait, you're running for office and you're on my street, which it's hard for every door I'm at. That means there's 9,900 other doors I'm not at who don't feel that way. <laughs> but hopefully, you know, people just really do crave community and people interaction. And I think we're all, you know, a lot of people hate this, but I think we're more alike than everybody wants to give credit to. No, and I think that in a time when we're not spending as much time around other people, where that nuance and conversation can linger a little bit, we mm-hmm. drive wedges between relationships even more, right? <laughs> The relationships get worse when the nuance is taken out and social media is a just That's a really interesting thing. I realize so many people, you know, they'll reach out to me or DM me. I've never met them in my life. Um, Sometimes they're from Utica, sometimes they're not. And they come with all these preconceived notions and they're heated. I'm like, okay, this person doesn't know me. Everything that they're having a problem with is from some other issues. Yeah. So um, I have to figure out how to diffuse this, but like, don't take it personal. (laughs) And hopefully um, I try to look for like the thing that they're saying uh, if it's about Utica that they're concerned about, like, okay, I think I've said that on Twitter, like, okay, we share that. Let's focus on that. And then we can, especially like, I don't even know if I have an opponent yet this year. Uh, so the people funny who are coming at me, it's like, you know, usually heckling, I guess, is a sign that they just want to be a part of the conversation. They just don't know how is what I'm trying to say. Hey, listen, a lot of people heckle AOC. She's very popular. Hmm? And she heckled constantly. Uh, yeah. yeah, we'll end it there. <laughs>
let me uh, let me ask you a couple coffee related questions before I let you go. But before we do that, where can people go? Uh, it's katieforutica.com if they want to go check out uh, campaign information. Where else can people go if they want to reach out or get in touch with you about First Ward stuff, about council stuff? Where's the easiest yeah, contact? I, well, now I'm like all over the district constantly. So uh, Katie for Utica, Katie for Utica at gmail.com. I work character coffee every Saturday, nine to two. Uh, my phone number is listed. I literally say call or text me if people have questions. I also have um, a Zoom uh, Zoom scheduling sure. set up on my website so people can just have a Zoom call, which two people have so far, which has been cool. Awesome. Uh, and I just want to ask you, when we did your interview, I want to say seven months ago, you had talked about the Rome location. You guys were just sort of opening up. How has that been going since everything, since we talked last? Very, which um, it's still on track with a time frame that I figured would happen. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot more has come of it. So I'm not going to announce more of the building yet or anything, because I think we actually have some more opportunities with Rome, which is exciting. But um, it's been annoying because the way that it was portrayed in like the media was that we opened. So every week I still get people yeah. And say, hey, where is your, what are your Rome hours? I'm like, they don't exist yet. So, you know. And do you think, uh, do you have any concerns at all that the campaign stuff will like pull you away from, from the job at all? I'm very, like every week on Sundays, I make a very strict schedule. Like I zone my hours of, if I'm watching TV, <laughs> if yeah. I'm doing anything. So I try to really stick to that because one, I can't have it come up, like take me away from my girls. And then two, it's obviously the business. People think I shouldn't voice up because I'm a business owner and it'll look bad. Um, usually they're older. I think our people like more, I don't know, millennials and such like respect it. And coffee shops, especially coffee shops specifically have the unique ability of being social justice warriors. So I yeah. feel like it all falls together and there's enough coffee shops in town. Like you can totally go to any of them. <laughs> I won't get into which ones you're the most rivalry with. I was that was my next question. Who is the biggest rivalry with you guys? We'll we'll save that for next time you're on episode four. I do have a question for you though, uh, and this is something mostly for my stepdad because we got in a, a bit of a discussion about this yesterday. I've given my stepdad a lot of gift cards to a particular local establishment, and he doesn't like using them because he feels like gift cards are uh, like no good. He's like it's not the same as giving them your money. And I was like, no, you don't get it. Like it's already paid for. Right. But however, I'm having issues because I have a gift card to your establishment and I feel weird coming in to use it because it's like, oh no. So some business owners, not everybody does this. So obviously you get the money like on the back end as a business owner, you get the money up front, you can spend it right away, but that's silly. So I reserve anybody who's ever bought a gift card. That's a whole separate account that we don't touch that income until that's what most businesses do. Yeah. They won't retrieve the money until they actually make the product. Um, so yeah, spend the gift cards, guys. I'm going to have to come in when you're actually working. Though, and I don't feel bad showing up and being like, is Katie here? No. All right. I'll see you later. I don't feel bad, which we all get that. I, I People come in and they're like, oh, it's you today. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> I'm glad uh, they like the other Johns. Uh, let me give you a couple quick lightning round questions before we head out. Uh, this one is directly from your Twitter profile. And this isn't really so much a question. You were doing a uh, discussion about seltzer flavors, which were the most popular, and you seem to get a consensus that lime was the flavor that was the most popular. Yeah, is that, that true? I hate seltzer. Doesn't I? I've, I drank so much seltzer when I was uh, for a while that I burned myself off of seltzer. So I always buy it, and then it sits in the fridge for like four months until I've run out of other things to drink, and then I forget it was in there, and I go, "Oh yeah, seltzer. That's right." Okay. <laughs> every four months I'm like maybe it's good everybody's drinking it I'm like oh no it's disgusting sorry guys but 
And, but we do sell, we have an open cooler in the cafe and I try to stock it with things people like, but I don't speak seltzer, so. Does that also extend itself to any sort of like truly or white claw style alcoholic seltzer? Is that also no bueno for you? I, I'd rather not, I'd rather, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I will, I have to, and it's, you know, all that's around with like at an event, but not the first choice. They're not paying me, but I thought the Saranac green tea one was actually quite good. Uh, all right. Before I let you go, give me one book, album, movie, or television show you are currently listening to, reading, or watching. Hmm, I would say, well, the interesting thing is I can't get into TV anymore since COVID. I don't know why. Like, sure. It's not the same for me. But I'm finally reading Tolstoy's Anna Karenina, which I've never, I don't know what took me so long, uh, other mm. than it was recently recommended and gifted to me. But it's, um, it's a good breakup from the reality that I'm in to just dive into phenomenal writing and characters in this other world. It's a good escape. Uh, give me uh, one particular skill you think you really focused on during COVID times. I don't know. Oh gosh. Give me an example. Do you have one? Uh, I've gotten a little, I've been a little more adventurous with my cooking stuff. I'm trying some more things that I would, I, I made biscuits for the first time ever in my life as a 35 year old man, mm -hmm. like less than two weeks ago. They came out okay. Biscuits are well, I mean, biscuits not from like a, a Pillsbury, you know, to yeah. actually, you know, mixed all the stuff by hand. It was a big mess. Right. Yeah, and bones too. It's a whole science to it. But I would say, I guess it's one thing that I didn't, I didn't realize how adaptable I was. Mm -hmm. So like when I look back at COVID, I'm very fortunate. I didn't have a lot of the struggles that some people did with, although my life completely changed 180. Yeah. before like in 2019 so 2020 was a breeze for me <laughs> uh, maybe that helped but I just want to I guess harness the adaptability and you know for all the things you can hate about yourself to try and find those good qualities of should help and I'll give you one last one uh, I'm going to paint a picture for you so uh just bear with me for a moment you uh are the world wrestling federation women's uh, heavyweight champion you are walking down the ring uh, the crowd is cheering your name. You're holding the belt above your head. What song is playing in the background as you make your way to the ring? You hate this question? <laughs> yeah, I can't. Okay, like I will not be ser serenading now. It's like Celeste. That is a tough act to follow. Uh, <laughs> I don't... Thing. She volunteered. Yeah, she did. Um, no, it's uh, because I hate that stuff. When I hate when all of it's looking. If okay, when I got married, I hated the idea of walking down the aisle. I'm divorced now, but it's and it wasn't because of that. I guess that's what, it wasn't. <laughs> but the idea of everybody looking at you walking through something really cringes me out. Um, oh man, guys, I have no good answer. You don't have any song like get you pumped up, like even in private. Like there's no particular song you listen to when you're like ready to go to the gym or get like ready to like run through a brick wall. Nothing. It, it depends what it, so I'm the person who will listen to the same song on repeat. Uh -huh, yep. This week it's uh, Joji. Um, <laughs> it's been like this randomly Asian R&B stuff. Nice. So like that's where I don't have the same experience with music as people. I love it. And if I find the one thing, it's just in my head, it's, it's life-changing, but I could also drive to Florida with the radio off and not realize it. I think podcasting for a long time killed my music listening. Uh, but I, I swear to God, I think it's a weather thing because the minute it got like nice-ish out yesterday and it was like warm weather, I was like listening to like 2000s punk rock. I was like, yeah, it's so nice out. I can't believe I got to listen to music. I think one of the, actually to answer your question, maybe I'd go something strategic. You know, if I had to go in the wrestling ring, something like I do love classical music. Um, oh. 
but you, I think it would be a strategy against the opponent. Like they would be very bored by that. Maybe it would make them sleepy, but uh, I'm fine. It helps my mood. So maybe we can like really underwhelm them and then go for blood. I watched a boxing match last year between a guy named Tyson Fury and a guy named Deontay Wilder. It was a pretty big time fight. And the crazy thing is Tyson Fury, this big gypsy white dude, bald guy, came out to the song Crazy by Patsy Cline. And the crowd did not know what to think of it. Now, again, I was like, that's like a lot of warfare. It's amazing. Yeah, the theatrics of that. That's fun. That's enjoyable. Uh, Katie, I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us today. We appreciate you coming back for your third time on the show. Uh, and again, katieforutica.com. Uh, I'll link everything in the website as well for folks to get a hold of you. Thank you so much. I know you're busy on the, on the campaign trail this morning. Yes, and thank you for doing this uh, 300 times. Like I said, I think your style of interview is really informative and valuable for us in Utica, so it's cool. It's so funny. More. I forgot that it was even 300 since we started this interview. That's how little I thought about 300. That's right. You just, yeah, take it day by day. So not a lot of people can can tell you how many blogs I have started that just lay, lay, lay in dormant. If I'm <laughs> later, I'll send you the link to my, my internet blog that still exists. It's a tough hang to read these days. Uh, Katie, thanks. I will. Sorry. Uh, Katie, thank you so much. We appreciate you and uh, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thanks, guys. Have a Shout again to KEIL. You can go to her website, katieforutica.com, to check out more about her uh, run as councilperson for the first ward, which is downtown Utica. But as we mentioned, that's a prerogative term. Downtown Utica is more than just downtown. It's an expansive area of Utica. It's very mm. important. Uh, Kevin, I was thinking about it. Uh, before we did the interview, I was talking about putting themselves on camera and like putting yourself on Twitter and all that kind of thing. Sure. I learned a song on guitar yesterday. Oh, what'd you learn? I learned Torn by Natalie Imbruglia. Oh, there you go. It's like four chords. Yeah. It's really easy. And I had like a two-second period where I was like, should I sing and play this and put it on the internet? And then immediately I was like, no. Yes, but tighten it up for a little bit. Make it look like you just learned it that day, but actually have rehearsed it for six weeks. <laughs> it's like three chords. It's like a C mm-hmm. and then an A minor. I had was... a little bit of that going on this week because I uh, we were talking about it last week when we were talking about the mixtape for the week and I was saying how I'd been digging back into Oasis and um, that that's that's only been growing for the last week. Mm. It's pretty much all I've been listening to musically what, Oasis? Like the last week. Those huh. first three albums. Yeah. So uh, definitely maybe What's the Story of Morning Glory and the B-side album, oh, Master so Plan. Um but I was learning a bunch of their songs on guitar, and they're another band who's really helpful for, like, if somebody was getting back into the swing of it or they were just learning guitar or something like that, because all the songs are simple, what will sometimes get derisively referred to as campfire chords, mm. which is all simple, like, open chords and, like, really basic standard stuff. And so yeah. I accidentally learned, like, ten Oasis songs on guitar this week just because I was, like, kind of poking around. Oasis, much like Bad Religion, I've jokingly said, like, I appreciate how they've made a career out of seven chords. Like, a 17, 18-year career out of, like, the same seven notes. Hey, listen, there's only so many notes. There's There's only only so so many many notes notes. true. Uh, Yeah, you know what's funny? I was on a kick. I don't know if it was being ironic or if I was just in the zone because I was thinking about it. I mean, didn't mean that to be a pun. I was learning all sorts of, like, female pop songs. Alanis Mm -hmm. Morissette, Natalie Imbruglia. I didn't get as far as Jewel, but I'm sure I'll get there eventually. Like I, I was tougher. Jewel's got some guitar playing on those albums. I think when I pick up a guitar now, I'm kind of looking to learn something 
off-brand. Because I started, because I essentially picked up the acoustic after you had gone out, because I'm weird about playing guitar in front of people now, because I feel like my skills have diminished. Oh, okay. Is that weird? Is that, no, I no, know I, know, I know exactly. I, I um, would barely ever want to pick up, if I wasn't in the swing with the band for the years before yeah, that, yeah. I would feel super uncomfortable like picking up my bass in a room of musicians. I feel a little sloppy. When I wasn't yeah, playing regularly, because yeah. I would know that I was rusty, you know? <laughs> But I was sort of, I don't know if I was being post-ironic, but I was looking mm. for some sort of, like, vague pop song. What's, like, a pop song I can learn and do, like, a me version of? Like, a mm. low Eddie Vedder version of? And apparently, I tried to do... Oh, you're better than, than an Eddie Vedder version. Well, you know what I mean. Uh, I tried to do Hand in My Pocket by Alanis Morissette. Mm. But here's the thing. Alanis Morissette is an amazing singer. Uh, and correct. some of those notes are way out of my range. Mm-hmm. Nothing I can do about it. I can't fake it. I can't lower it. Nothing mm-hmm. I can do. So that's how I moved into Natalie and Berlia's You want to get some real burn, uh, real burn on like Instagram posting something like this. You got to do a cover off that new Taylor Swift, that folklore. I have I pick one of those tracks. I have zero opinion of Taylor Swift. Can I, can I tell you the truth? Like I, I don't have any issue with her music. I know she's very talented. Yeah. I know that she's super like technically talented well, here's and the thing, like, smart. Dirt, the, the dirty little secret that you learn if you're actually a musician is like for as much as it, it's always, you know, low-hanging fruit yeah. to be like, oh, whichever pop star du jour, like that's not real music. But you don't, no, you don't no, really get to that. that place or do that unless you're able to, you know what I mean? You look at a lot of people where I don't listen to very much Taylor Swift. It's not really always ever been for me, but like the songwriting and the musicianship is still, it's popular the way that it's popular for a reason. So I don't ever really give it too hard to anything like that. No, I, and I think that's like an older musician's game. Like when we were younger, in my tw- if I was in my 18, 20, early 20 stage, I'd have been crabbing on Taylor Swift and all sorts of other like pop music. Yeah, yeah. As I get older, I can understand the song craft and why it's something is popular or why something is catchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever, we've covered this a million times. All right, let's get into the history lessons. We're already five minutes late. Mm. Uh, I condensed them down pretty pretty intensely this week. Um, let's do this one on 1765. Parliament passed the Quartering Act. Kev, without prompting, are you familiar with the Quartering Act? I thought you were going to ask me if I was familiar with Parliament. And with we Parliament, yeah. About George Clinton. George Clinton, Collins. yeah, a little funk. Yeah. Um, maybe, probably. Once Quartering I Act requires the colonies to house British soldiers in barracks provided mm-hmm. by the colonies. If the barracks were too small to house all of these soldiers... And localities were meant to accommodate the soldiers at local inns, livery stables, houses, and cellars of houses of cellars of wine, which seems mm. where you want to be. Listen, I'm a soldier. Put me in a house full of winemakers. That's what I want. Popular image of redcoats tossing colonists from their bedchambers in order to move themselves in was not the intent of the law. Neither was it how it played out in practice. The idea that you know, British soldiers came in and just kicked people out of their house to stay there is not necessarily true. I don't know, man. It sounds like the British. It, it does sound, sound like the British. You know, it does British sound like the British. Uh, however, New York uh, Colonial Assembly disliked being commanded to provide quarter from the British, especially without their consent, which is a big thing for the British during this period of time. Thus, New York refused to comply with the law, and in 1767, Parliament passed the New York Restraining Act, which prohibited the royal governor of New York from signing any legislation unless he complied with the Quartering Act. Uh, New York governor, however, managed to convince the parliament that he had just complied, and then they moved right on. He's like, oh yeah, we complied, no problem, we got it. In Massachusetts, however, this was a problem. Uh, They followed the Quartering Act's injunctions to the letter, which meant that soldiers were not allowed to stay in public places, or only allowed to stay in public places, not private places, right? 
With those constraints, that meant the only places that soldiers could stay was in tents pitched in Boston commons. This meant that soldiers had to live cheek to cheek with riled up Boston citizens who did not want them there. They were involved in street brawls and confrontations. And then, of course, in 1770, this led to the Boston Massacre. Uh, British soldiers stayed in Boston until George Washington drove them out with the Continental Army in 1776. What a strange time to be alive. <laughs> For sure. I don't know, man. I think this is like... Um, yeah, I, I guess you can't even put into concept what it would be like because the mm-hmm. it was, America was so different. Like the concept of what it wasn't even really a thing, right? Like, it, it just, yeah. Well, and especially, I mean, especially now, even if you were somebody from you know the nineteen thirties and you could think back on that time, it would seem more similar. But with the exponential dilation of time and the way it goes, it speeds up. We're so far removed from even the most basic level stuff that would have to be done to live a life during that time in that world. Like, nobody, very few people would be suited. This happens all the time, right? People look at, like, a history, or a period of time in history. They look back in history, and they're like, oh, it's so romantic. I want to live in the Wild West. Mm. I want to live in uh, whatever. Like, whatever. Read a little more. Read a little more history. (laughs) Read a little little more. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's not romantic. I watch a show like Deadwood, and I'm like, yeah, like, the simplicity of life is captivating, right? Mm. Your day-to-day struggle is to provide for yourself and survive mm. and live for your family. There's an immediacy to that presentation of what life was like that's very captivating. Yeah. I don't know if it's real. I don't know if that's what it was really like. Deadwood isn't reality, sure. right? But I, I understand the romantic aspect of living day-to-day and the frontiersman. I, I, I do understand it. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily agree definitely. with it, but... I think that that's still, in a lot of ways, kind of the goal today. Like, you, you think about, you know, the romanticism of the, the simpler times where it's like, hey, I'm just living for, you know, yep. my family and my little plot of land to do my thing, put food on the table and have nice yeah. times while I can have nice times. That's still kind of the goal today, you know what I mean? To The world that we live in with all this crazy stuff that goes on and everything, you know, it, it's, it's always a choice how much you want to engage yeah. with any of this stuff and what kind of life you want to have. Mm-hmm. That's something that I think is definitely solidified for me during this pandemic year is what which things in my life and how many of those things there are that i'd like to just be simplified and like how little you actually like really need in the sense of like continually chasing more and bigger and next to more and bigger and next you know there's something to be said for slowing down and you know smelling the flowers not to put it in such flowery language no but i i I think you're right and i wonder if there is an aspect to the world slowing down in the post-covid time will people sort of take stock of things in a different way and maybe we'll see not a not a huge change but maybe a a moderate pushing of the brakes and just sort of appreciating what we have in a way that we didn't before this yes and no yeah uh, because okay. I do think a lot of the Gen Z kids are about to go hammer time for like the next 10 years. Oh my god, yeah, for <laughs> like sure. All the 19-year-olds that have been cooped up all mm-hmm. year, you know, those will be your new oh, flappers yeah. down oh, the yeah. road. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I hopefully, yeah. people who are introspective and people who think about these kind of things, I can only speak about how much value I've taken out of it in the last year, but, but really underlining how important it is and forcing people to slow down and yeah. to, to focus on, you know... The here and the now and focus on what you have and focus on what's really important. That's the biggest silver lining that I've seen in the last 12 months. So, I, yeah, hopefully it stays and people keep moving in that direction. Uh, great stuff. Let's move on to 1933 on this day. Mm. 
FDR legalized sale of beer and wine with the passage of the 18th Amendment and the Volstead Act in 1919. Temperance advocates had finally achieved their goal of prohibiting the sale of alcohol, or as they called it at the time, spirits. Mm. Which is a term I think we should bring back. I want some spirits tonight. Spirits is still spirits on there. It's pretty good. <laughs> like within the industry of yeah, yeah. people who are sales reps for yeah. liquor, spirits is still industry standard. Uh, the new law prohibited the manufacture, sale, transportation of liquor, and ushered in the era known as Prohibition, defining uh, an alcoholic beverage as anything containing over 0.5% alcohol by volume. Which is, I think, like a, a non-alcoholic beer is like 0. 0.05, right? Something like that? Something like that. Uh, President Woodrow Wilson had unsuccessfully tried to veto the Volstead Act, which set harsh punishments for violating the 18th Amendment and endowed the IRS with unprecedented regulatory and enforcement powers. In the end, prohibition provide, uh, proved difficult and expensive to enforce, which seems super obvious now in hindsight. Like, how mm -hmm. could you possibly really enforce this? Yeah. Uh, and actually increased legal trafficking without cutting down on consumption. In one of the first addresses to Congress, as President FDR announced his intention to modify the Volstead Act with the Beer and Wine Revenue Act, which levied a federal tax on all alcoholic beverages and gives individual states the option to regulate the sale and distribution of beer and wine. I'm going to stop right here and just say, it is interesting to see how much, like, marijuana legalization falls along these same kind of lines. Oh, right? yeah. Like, once we can just tax this, mm -hmm. we're okay with it. Right? Like, we were mad about it before, but if we can make money off this and it will help us out, we're okay with anything. Yeah. Really in the long run, right? Uh, no fan of Tempers himself, FDR had developed a taste for alcohol when he attended New York cocktail parties as a budding politician. Haven't we all, buddy? Uh, FDR considered the new law of the highest importance for its potential to generate much-needed federal funds and included it in a sweeping set of New Deal policies. Feels like I'm reading the current news. In a <laughs> lot of ways. Isn't it weird? In a lot of ways. Uh, and beer. it's not even geopolitics no, this time. No. Uh, beer and Wine Revenue Act was followed in December of 1933 by the passage of the 21st Amendment, which officially ended Prohibition. And, of course, the first beer sold in the United States after Prohibition. What is it? You guys know it. What is it? Utica Club. Da, 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 da. So I can tell you too deep. <laughs> Couple too deep. It's too deep. Too deep. I've had two drinks. Uh, on this day, 1983, uh, in a story I feel like we talk about every year, the Hummer debuts. The Pentagon on this day awarded a production contract worth more than $1 billion to AM General Corporation to develop the highly mobile multi-purpose wheeled vehicle, the HMMWV, nicknamed the Humvee, and designed to transport troops and cargo. In 1992, the civilian version of the Hummer was uh, went on sale. I feel like the most popular version of this was that Arnold Schwarzenegger drove one, right? That was a thing oh. I knew even as a kid. Arnold Schwarzenegger had the Hummer. In the 90s, until they re-released them in the mid-2000s with the H2 and the H3. That is correct. Those big-ass yellow ones. Yeah, uh, the Hummer sort of became a symbol of America's supersized lifestyle. Mm. Gas-guzzling vehicle. It was a target of heavy criticism from environmentalists in 2003. Hummer-hating eco-vandals. That's a quote. I didn't write that. Uh... Attacked four dealerships in Southern California, destroying and defacing dozens of Hummers, leaving notes like, quote, fat, lazy Americans around the premises. I mean, mm. it is what it is. 2006, Amer uh, GM ended production of the original Hummer due to low sales. In 2008, uh, Hummer shrunk, their sales shrunk about 50% from where they had been in the previous five years. Mm. Uh, this doesn't 
seems surprising when you receive they just got a federal bailout in 2008. In 2009, they filed for bankruptcy. So 2008, you get the bailout. 2009, you filed for bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. Feels like you mismanaged that bailout, if you ask me. Yeah, they stole the money, gave it to the COs. Yeah, yeah. That's true. In 2020, however, 10 years after the last Hummer was produced, GM announced be relaunching the brand. Kevin, we had a friend who had... Was it an H2 or H3? You had a friend. That was your boy. That was your boy. Um, it was an H3, so it was one of the smaller ones. I drove that uh, a good amount of times. I drove that on like some long what did you think three of or four-hour trips. I drove it on town a bunch. Uh, it was awful. It's pretty gaudy. It was awful. And let me tell you, no, I, don't, I don't care about the gaudy. You know, People are looking at me wherever <laughs> I go, so give me a big it's giant nice. truck stick and look at that, too. Great point. But... Um, <laughs> But here's the, no, you know what the real problem with that H3 was? Because that was one that was supposed to be smaller and a little bit less of like an aggressive, overly wide military vehicle. Yeah. The problem was that it was like too small. You were in there, the windows were too narrow, the interior was like disgusting, but not even in like an appealing minimalist way. And it only had a five cylinder engine. And not to get too, you know, gearhead corner here on the show, because I know <laughs> almost nothing heads. about it. <laughs> but I do know that for a vehicle that heavy to only have a five cylinder, to put that into perspective, your small Honda Accord has a six cylinder. And it rips. So the engine <laughs> <laughs> It does, it does. Young Paul Walker out here. Oh, that's right, baby. But that giant Hummer had uh, just an underpowered engine, so you would drive it, and it wouldn't feel. It would just feel so yeah. sluggish. It didn't really have towing capacity. All it was was, hey, look at look. the body of this car. Uh, you can tell I'm two whiskeys deep, so I'm going to tell this story. Oh, uh, boy. Our friend who owned this Hummer, uh. Uh, I remember he had an amplifier, uh, an amp head. For a guitar. Guitar for, amplifier. Yeah, guitar yeah. amplifier. goes on the top of the amp. On top of the speaker. And I had to go pick the amp up from his house. Mm. And I went into his house, and he was asleep at an unreasonable time, at like mm. 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Shout out to musicians. Shout out to musicians. And uh, I asked him, I was like, hey man, where is the amp head? He said, mm -hmm. oh, oh, it's in the car. You can just go get it. It's unlocked. I said, great. Mm -hmm. So I go out, and I open the truck of this H3 Hummer, and a cascade of monster energy cans mm. and McDonald's bags and garbage falls on me. And I only bring this story because I know that somewhere out there, you listeners have a friend who is like this, whose, yeah. <laughs> whose car is just to totally full of garbage and crap. And As someone who had an SUV when I was way, way oh, younger, man. like 17, 18, and you're just like, you're you're practically living in the car. You're out with your friends so much. You're going yeah. on trips every time you can get it when you're that young. With an SUV, it gets too easy to be like, I'm just going to throw it over the back seat into the way back. Mm -hmm. Yep. Gets too easy. Uh, this is from Time Magazine uh, and their list of 50 worst cars of all time uh, about the Hummer H2, which came out in 2003. Mm -hmm. One struggles to think of a worse vehicle at a worse time. And introduced shortly after 9-11, the Hummer, the Hummer H2 sent all the wrong signals. It was arrogantly huge, overtly, overtly militaristic. Openly scornful of the common good. As a vehicle charge, the H2 is a spiteful reactionary repost to the nation uh, to the notion that, you you know, maybe we all shouldn't be driving tanks that get 10 miles per gallon. Mm. Not surprisingly, uh, the Hummer dealerships uh, were attacked by environmentalists, egotary. Again, not a popular car for most people. Mm. Again, very time and place. Diego, Diego Maradona time. Award for these folks. Diego Maradona <laughs> Award for big energy. Uh, let's get to our last history lesson, which is a very light one, but I'm very excited about it. On this day, 1998, uh, Titanic won 11 mm. Academy Awards. Uh, on the evening of March 23rd, 1998, the dominance of Titanic as a blockbuster film was all but assured. 
Uh, going into the Academy Awards, Titanic had uh, tied the record for most nominations with 14, with 1955's All About Eve. Then tied Ben-Hur from 1955 with the most wins for 11 wins, including Best Picture. Mm. Uh, Cameron had already sort of pro proved himself as this master of what you would call like a big-budget science fiction movie. He was doing mm. Terminator, Aliens, uh, The Abyss, I guess, at this sure. time already. Uh, but this was probably his most ambitious movie, a uh, retelling of the ill-fated 1912 voyage of the Titanic steamship, which sank in the North Atlantic after striking an iceberg. Cameron, in general, was known for going over budget and over schedule, and Titanic was worse than most movies in terms of budget and going mm -hmm. over schedule. Originally budgeted at $100 million, which in 1998 is probably, I don't even know what that would be today, but I'm sure it's a lot more. Uh, they built a replica 90% scale version of the Titanic and put it in a $17 million gallon tank of water in Mexico. What a wild concept. The budget went from 100 to 200 million over the course of a year, more than any other film in history at the time. It also missed its original release date, making the studio executives really nervous. The last time a film had missed a studio release date was the infamous big budget flop that tanked United Artists in 1980, Heaven's Gate, which is a whole other story. Sure. Um, Released before Christmas in 1997, Titanic became a monster hit and continued to earn steadily at the box office over the next six months until it became the first movie ever to gross more than $1 billion internationally. Critical response was divided. Everyone liked the special effects, the action sequences. People were divided on the screenplay itself, which Cameron penned. Mm. Uh, so much so that the Los Angeles Times said that the movie reeked of phoniness and leaked even minimal originality. Uh, Cameron famously fired back in a letter to this author uh, saying that the Los Angeles Times should, quote, impeach their movie review uh, art, uh, author. Cameron, everything I've read seems like kind of a... Cameron makes it so hard to, to defend him. Yeah, he really does. He's got that, he's got he's got a bit of that, like, Kanye, before Kanye went all the way off the deep end, yeah. he's got a bit of that where, like, you're such a creative genius and you make such wonderful art, but boy, you make it hard to be a defender. Uh... I, I don't think it's understating how big of a deal this movie was. How do you, can you, do you have any feelings about Titanic that you can yeah. divorce from, like, the overall cultural narrative? Yeah. Like, how do you feel about it individually? Yeah. Uh, so, I'll give you a great example. My first girlfriend, my very first girlfriend in middle school, when this movie oh. came out, it was 1997, so I was, like, 13, 12, 13, getting to that range. Yeah, like, yeah. My very girl. first girlfriend, shout out to Cassie, good girl. Uh, she's, like, living her life now. You were, like, 11. Eighty six. Eighty six. Yeah. So eleven. Yeah. So again, girlfriend is a real vague term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, but we went to go see Titanic in mm. the theater like four times. She mm. was obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. She was obsessed with DiCaprio. She's obsessed with Kate Winslet mm -hmm. and the movie in general. And it was such a cultural thing. And I remember doing that thing like when I was a kid, like, oh, this is a stupid romance movie. It's a captivating movie. Even to this day, I, Cameron doesn't make bad movies. I don't know if there's a straight-up bad movie anywhere in Cameron's, like, uh, filmography. The Abyss. Yeah, The Abyss. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really like The Abyss. But even that is, that's if that's the worst movie you've ever made, you're doing fine. Oh, which is, Do you know what I mean? Which is, and it's not, it's not the worst movie he's ever made. Avatar? Uh, I don't know, The Abyss. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm an I'm an unapologetic fan of the movie Titanic. Oh, I've, I think it's great. I've seen Titanic counting times catching on cable upwards of fifty times. Um, it's something if I see it on, I'll stop and watch it. Mm. Uh, it used to be called Guilty Pleasure movie for me. Yeah, I, I don't I think that's I, changed. I don't believe in guilty pleasures. Mm. Mm. I think you should like whatever you yeah. like. It's all like just art and music. It's not that serious. 
but yeah, I it just mm-hmm. we were we were at the perfect age for this movie yes. to make a huge impact. That it was always on TV, um, but I it love made it. me a fan of DiCaprio. I hated him going in because my girlfriend at the time thought he was so cute, and I was like, ugh. I just got. I don't think I really knew who he was going into it. My girlfriend was obsessed with him. Yeah, I don't know. And I was just like, I hate this guy. And then I saw, him, I was like, he's actually quite good. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> he's good. Uh, I've said it before. Uh, if you believe me or the theory, uh, there is no DiCaprio in this movie. He doesn't exist. Uh, Kate Winslet makes him up in his head to deal with the fact that she's in this terrible relationship with Billy Zane. I know that that's not a popular take in this movie. Mm. I think it's interesting. It's too much. Uh, I'll give you my... Here's the Cameron filmography, right? So it's Terminator 84, uh, Aliens 86... I've never seen. The original Terminator? I've n- in my life. I've it's never good. seen the original Terminator. I mean, here's the thing. If you've seen Terminator 2, which I would... Why would you ever watch Terminator Why one? would you watch Terminator Correct. Terminator 2 is, to me, the best thing he's ever made. And I know that it's a different kind of no, movie probably... than Titanic, but I feel like in a different way, it was such a pop cultural phenomenon. Yeah. And it set a precedent in terms of special effects and blockbuster. Like, Titanic is the 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 eventual long version of what starts with T2. Oh, I can do this. I can spend this kind of money and have the special effects, these type of actions and effects and scenes and really affect people. Sure. Six years later, you turn that into some Titanic, which is much more mainstream than killer mm-hmm. robot from the future comes back to, to you know. I think what it really underscores for me is like, listen, HBO, don't be cowards and give me the Snyder cut. That's not what I want. <laughs> I want the James Cameron cut of Aquaman oh, yeah. with Vinny Chase's Aquaman. Oh, yeah. That's true. what I do. It's true. <laughs> uh also, True Lies, 1984, kind of the forgotten James Cameron movie. I, mm. I think True Lies... True Lies is one of those movies I think people call problematic because of the uh, portrayal of, like, uh, Asian uh, Arab Americans. Like, sure. Yeah. Sure, sure. And it certainly isn't the most nuanced take, but I find that movie very entertaining as an action film. So, uh, let me move on here. We have uh, some history lessons I haven't gotten. Oh, not history lessons. We'll move on. Doomsday Reports, our biggest Doomsday mm. Report. It's been a while, but 300th episode, I felt like it was important to get a Doomsday Report in. Uh, these are some good ones this week. Uh, earlier this week, a new set, Kevin, of Dead Sea Scrolls. Ancient fragments of biblical text mm-hmm. dating back almost 2,000 years, uh, thought to be hidden during a Jewish revolt, have been found in Israel's desert. This is the first time, I want to say, in over 60 years that any ancient Bible texts have been found. It's brand new Bible text, Kevin. Uh, and you know what that means. It's a bad sign for us. <laughs> it's Doomsday Report. This is like top-level Doomsday Report stuff. New religious stuff. So there's 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 one thing I haven't heard you say yet, and I'm not going to step on you, but did you see the name of the cave they found these in? I, I saw... The actual name of the cave that they found these ancient uh, biblical I did in? see it. It's not listed on the article here, but it's something really ominous, is it yeah. not? It's like the cave of horror? Like the cave of doom? The cave, cave of horror, of horror. Yeah. 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 Uh, treasures are found in... Uh, in what's called the Cave of Horror in the Judean Desert. Which, again, why would you call it that? Is It must be really horrifying. It must really be terrifying. I mean, I don't, being out in the caves back in you know 200 AD probably was it's horrifying. Uh, speaking of which... I don't spend uh, a lot of time in caves now. Uh, Doomsday Report Part 2. Mm. Uh, a long dormant volcano, this is from the AP, uh, in Iceland started spilling lava down its side for the first time in nearly 800 years mm. this week. Uh, internal aerial footage posted on Facebook showed a relatively small eruption so far with two streams of lava running in opposite directions. Uh, Department of Emergency Maintenance said it is not anticipating evacuations because the volcano is in a remote valley about 2.5 kilometers from the nearest road. Mm. But again, 800 years, 
been since the volcano comes back. Same week, Dead Sea Scroll stuff is found. Just feels very controversial, very ominous. This is how a person ends up being like a QAnon. Is this person, is this how okay. Where they're like, I I don't have the emotional capacity to accept that the world is often a random and terrifying yeah. place. Yeah. So the only choice I can make that makes me able sure. to sleep at night is that this is all coordinated it's all, by something that's a great we point. can't see or some hidden hand we don't know about. Uh, the real, this is how people yeah. get there. The real Doomsday Report this week, though, comes from the Royal Geographic Society of London, who earlier this week declared that bees are now the most important living beings on the planet. Mm-hmm. That's right, Kevin. Bees, now the most important living being on the planet. Uh, Science Times reports that 70% of the world's agriculture is dependent on pollination that happens exclusively from bees. Uh, so again, spiders and bees, be nice to them. That's our new takeaway from this week's episode. Be yeah, nice definitely. Spiders, be nice to bees. I've been talking about bees a lot lately. <laughs> I've been talking about bees a lot lately because I'm on I'm on a bit of a, we'll call it a cusp. We've got some future plans down the road. You know what I mean? Life will be different eventually. You live at a house, you go yeah, to sure. land, you got some stuff like that. Uh, I'm highly interested in keeping bees. Beekeeper. They seem super, like if you've got some mm-hmm. land and some space and like you kind of know what you're doing and approach it. Yep. And I'm also really interested, they say one of the most helpful things you can do to you know save the pollination, which is a problem, is to plant uh, basically natural plants that are natural yeah. to your area and ecosystem to have pollinator gardens to give places for these different, not just bees, but various, you know, mm-hmm. all sorts of other bugs that are, you know, responsible for mm-hmm. pollination give them places to go and to repurpose and to get pollen and to reproduce and to live their lives because in today's age of everybody wants their lawn and everybody wants this and they want to cut down all the native species one of the best things you can do is if you have some land is leave it wild and leave natural species of plant that attract pollinators so that's stuff that i can't really do it here but it would be so much easier to be a friend of the bees they don't want to sting you. They only do if you go swatting at them. Calm down. I gotta be honest, I'm not a fan of the bees, but I, I understand the importance of the bees. Tell you a story off the air about the bees, just because you know <laughs> it doesn't really fit for here, but something yeah. I saw that was crazy with the bees. Uh, real quick, Stephen King check in this week. This mm. week, Stephen King King's news. Corner. King's Corner. Uh, apparently, King me. a new a new Stephen King miniseries for Apple TV coming this week, oh. Kevin, based on Lizzie's story, which I've never read. How? How I never the read man it? Has, no. The man has 60 books. None of them almost have ever been adapted into anything serviceable to compare to the book. And we're going to do Lisey's story. Uh, I'll give you, okay, uh, I got to say, I think the cast is impressive. They got Julianne Moore. cast is often impressive. Julianne Moore, Clive Owen. In Chapter 2 Jennifer, had a really impressive cast. It did have an impressive cast, it's true. Uh, all right, let's do a very quick fast food thing on the way out here today. Mm. I have two fast food things. One... Kevin, I threw this out here. China this week is introducing a new McDonald's sandwich. It is called the Big Meatball Burger. That's right. If you go to China, McDonald's, you can get a meatball burger, which is... Just a regular American quarter pounder. Well, there it is. (laughs) It looks like a sloppy joe. You can find that on the... It's meatballs drenched in tomato meat sauce, cheese, lettuce, mayonnaise, and a sesame street uh, seat bun. My question is, why is there mayonnaise on this? For what reason? Ugh. Shkumbari, what, what is let's, this? I'll tell you what, I would like to, right now, I'd like to speak directly to the people of China and our listeners in China. Oh, um, our Chinese listeners. since Biden's the president, I know they're listening now. Is it's true. Told it's true. By liars. Um, <laughs> if you want a meatball sandwich, yeah. if you crave a meatball sandwich, come to America. You come, 
Come to the Uticast headquarters. <laughs> we will take you down up. to all the neighborhood spots. We'll get you some. You don't need the lettuce, the mayonnaise, none of that stuff. It's always crazy to see what different different places like fast food are doing in different countries and the trends. There must be a reason for it. You know, mayonnaise on meatballs seems gross to me, but no, who knows? No, thank you. Who knows? Uh, miss me with that, as I would say. Uh, McDonald's actually, though, hitting a huge popularity boost this week thanks to one particular item. It's announced that in-store visits are up 29% this week after McDonald's announced their new crispy chicken sandwich. Another sandwich. In you this- said in-store visits? I think they just mean drive through or walk-ins. Oh, okay. like I think their numbers are up like a wild percentage since they put this sandwich out. I'll throw it out here. I've tried the sandwich. It's fine. It's mm. no Chick-fil-A sandwich. But for $4.30, it's definitely better than what you would get like a McChicken. Interesting. Interesting. Here's the thing, right? I'm not going to sit here and be like, it's a good sandwich. It's fine. But you're paying like a premium price for a premium sandwich, right? So if you go to Chick-fil-A... A chicken sandwich is like $4.50. I'm not a huge proponent of Chick-fil-A, but it is a good chicken sandwich, and you're paying premium money for it. Sure. That's essentially what McDonald's is doing here. I went back and got a McChicken after getting the premium crispy chicken sandwich, and it is a huge letdown. There's definitely a drop in quality, and there's no denying if there isn't. I don't have, I don't eat at McDonald's all too often, unless I catch a one-off breakfast maybe, but I... Everything like that. The quality, I don't know if you just learn better as you get older, if the quality is getting worse, they're trying to squeeze profits out. But, yeah, the quality is just not really there. It's like, there's so many times you eat stuff like that, you're like, oh, this is literal garbage. It's it's literal garbage. It might be one of the better things on their menu, but that's not saying saying anything. I'm saying, like, is it the best sandwich on their menu? Sure. I went somewhere for lunch uh, a couple days ago. I went to one of those bowl places. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like acai bowl? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever had one of these acai yeah, bowls? Let yeah. me tell you what. It was amazing. What a treat. It was like, because it tasted like dessert. It had the acai, which is like the frozen mm-hmm. blackberry tasting paste. And there was like, you know, granola and bananas and like peanut butter mm-hmm. and coconut and all this stuff. And it was like a meal, but it's also the best dessert you can get. I'm like, this is better than ice cream and it replaces lunch. <laughs> so I'm big into the bowl lifestyle now. Uh, also, by the way, uh, in the chicken sandwich game, Taco Bell announced that it will be releasing its own crispy chicken sandwich, uh, which essentially is like an, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like one of those Mexican style sandwiches, not a tostada, tostada. Oh, uh, okay. You know I'm talking about, yeah, it's yeah. got like an actual bread. It's not like a taco shell. Mm. Uh, I mean, I'm not surprised you're doing it. You might as well jump into the the hot chicken marketing campaign that every fucking place is going through right now. It's like every place has a chicken sandwich now. Yeah. I, mean, I gotta go to Rick's Famous and try their chicken sandwich. It's great. I've, I have heard the chicken sandwich. I heard from one of our, our best food correspondents oh, yeah. that the chicken sandwich down there is the best chicken sandwich they've ever had in their life. I'm gonna try it. the good things. It's the only reason I want to go is because our correspondent told me that. I've been thinking about mm. it ever since. Uh, all right. Uh... Let's do one mailbag question, and then we'll do some Spotify stuff. Uh, Listen, we're 300 episodes deep, so we don't have to answer more than one of your questions, uh, mailbag people. Just one. That's it. This is an easy one, so we'll start here. Would you eat at a restaurant that was really dirty if the food was amazing? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. I don't... don't, This is a silly question. That's a first world question. That's a first world question. First of all, like that's a super first world question. As somebody who's worked in plenty of restaurants, I'm going to break some news. Here on this podcast, yeah. you, and I mean the royal you, anybody who's Certainly. listening to this, you've never eaten at a clean restaurant. Nope. You've it's never, never eaten at a restaurant that's clean <laughs> as you think you. it is. I hate to tell you. Uh, yeah, of course. Some of the best food I ever had was some like B or C level uh, food restaurants in New York. Well, not, and That's not, so good. Not even that. Like when you, if you go, you know, you're going to different <laughs> places, especially, you know, folks who have like traveled and gone abroad, you know, 
when, when you look at places that tons and tons of people are eating, it's like, sure, it might not look the most cleanest, or it might not look mm. like an Applebee's, at least, and be, like, what your, you know, colonized brain thinks of as a mm-hmm. clean restaurant immediately, but all these folks are eating here. If the food is good, the food is good, you know what I mean? I've eaten food at people's houses, and their kitchens aren't that clean. You know what I mean? If oh, they, for sure. If the cat walks in the countertop and then I go make a pizza, you know what I mean? After you wash it, but still, it's... Oh, a little Charles Yeah, if the food is good, that's all you need. Uh, and real quick, what's the best room in your house and why? The answer is the kitchen. The answer is always the kitchen, mm. for me personally. Mm. I feel like the best conversations and the best uh, interactions you have are generally in the kitchen. That's a good... That is always the good answer as the overall. Yeah. But for me, the true answer will always be... Wherever my bedroom is, because that's where my bed is. That's like the home base, wake up in the morning, go to bed at night. That's the cave. That's my home base. That's not the home's yeah, that's home. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't want people in my room. I like no, people who are in the out, kitchen. Stay out, yeah, But yeah. I don't want people in my room. And uh, I guess we'll do some Spotify stuff before we leave. I made the Spotify mix. There's not a special theme to this week's episode. Mm-hmm. I'll highlight two tracks. Uh, one... Liberty Bell by the band Dark Side, one of my favorite bands. Didn't know this album came out in December. There's a mm-hmm. new single from it. I think they're really cool. More people should listen to Dark Side. And the other one is a commercial that has been playing constantly during March Madness. It's for Wendy's, and it features the song Major Bag Alert by uh, DJ Khaled and Migos. Uh, this is something that happened twice to me this week where I heard a song on a commercial and I go, is this a real song or do they write this song for the commercial? Nope. Turns out this is a real song by DJ Khaled and Migos and it's kind of catchy. Mm. Major Bag Alert and Liberty Bell is my two uh, picks for this week. That's fair. I got, I was going through, I did a couple different things. I was looking, um, I'll highlight two as well. First of all, there's a cover of the Bill Withers track, Ain't No Love in the Heart mm-hmm. of the City. Famous sample yep. from obviously, you know, the Jay Z song, uh, done by the group Black Pumas, performed on the Grammys last mm-hmm. week. A group I really got into. I put one of their, I've put some of their songs on the list before, yeah, for sure. Uh, but was listening back and they do a really cool cover of that. And then I'm also going to highlight the song Georgie Porgy mm-hmm. by the band Toto. Toto, I saw it for the song African Hold the Line. Georgie Porgy <laughs> is a song that I know and got into because, uh, as good a friend as he will allow us to be to the show, Thomas D used mm-hmm. to play on Soul yep. Saturdays. Yep. And Thomas D, always a better sport than he would want you to think about going up drunkenly and be like, dude, what is this song? This is the yeah. best. He put Pretend me on Georgie Porgy. Toto is a band that I wrote off a lot when I was younger, but as somebody who's a musician and has learned how to play some of their songs yeah. and listened past the singles, um, incredible musicianship in that band. Oh, yeah. A bunch of jazz guys who can play the hell out of their instrument. Kind of like a... Steely Dan adjacent kind mm. of band, if you if you mm. could believe it. So I put Georgie Porgy on there as well. Uh, great stuff. I saw you put She Bangs the Drums by uh, Stone Roses. Stone you, because Roses. you know why I put the Stone Roses on this week? Because I felt like it was overkill to put Oasis on two weeks in a row. <laughs> I was going to put like Hello or Acquiesce or something, and I was like, ah, oh, you know what? Stone Roses is underappreciated. Uh, so speaking of underappreciated, I want to thank again all you listeners and all you folks. Literally out there. everybody. This is everybody. Buddy, I got to tell you, this is crazy. What, like, people, just that people like listen. <laughs> you know, really though, like that we sit here and we talk about things that we think um, are important to us, and we have these conversations that people you know tune in and pay attention for this long. It's just wild. There are a lot of things I never thought would happen. I never thought that I would win an award from a local. You've been awarded. We're an award-winning podcast. We have a, we have a, a local award. I didn't get a trophy, so we have a trophy. It's on the front. Yeah, the you have a trophy. Katie Giacomelli, call me. Where's my trophy? That's just where. <laughs> that's just producer benefits. The benefits of being. EP. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Uh, no, honestly, though, for all you folks who have been here with us, whether it's from episode 
zero or whether this is your very first episode, mm -hmm. we just want to thank you for spending time with us. I've tried my best over the years to make this show as listenable mm. and engaging as I can. The and show, and that's that's a good point. The show wouldn't have happened without you. Thank you. If I it was just left it. to my device, I mean, I sit down at the chair every week. I do no prep. So it's easy for <laughs> really. It's easy for me. Uh, but I think you make it easy because you've got this. You've got what a hundred steno books now full of notes. I have so many notes. And you know, honestly, I, I've said it. We talked a lot about COVID times, mm. and especially in this last year, when I was struggling to find work and it was a tough go. I needed some semblance of an anchor, something sure. to hold me uh, to reality, something to fill the void of the emptiness sure. that was gone without the routine of my you life. Need, and you need a pass, go collect yeah. two hundred dollars. Yeah. you this, know what I mean. You need. A, yeah. So okay. thank you, folks, for joining us. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for mm -hmm. being involved in not just the podcast, but in Utica and Handshake City and all of the community stuff we've done. It's a great honor and a great privilege to be able to mm -hmm. do that. Uh, I look forward to more episodes. Like I said, there's no, I have no idea how long we'll be doing mm -hmm. this show. I'll do it as long as I can. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks to everybody who's been involved. Shout out to Heather Waz, our favorite in the whole world. Uh, you can follow the show. We are on iTunes, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcasts. Stitcher Hive. Stitcher Hive, for sure. There's always one I'm forgetting. SoundCloud. I should say SoundCloud. SoundCloud is the original place where the podcast was available. True. It's where the show... Uh, functions from initially mm. uh, go to uticast.com you can follow Kevin at underscore Kevin Sullivan you can follow Heather at Heather Waz one you can follow me at SF Doom or just follow the show at Uticast we are on Twitter mm -hmm. Facebook uh, Instagram that's a thing, that's a thing yeah, people yeah, are on. what are the other platforms those are the three big thanks to our uh, sworn enemy Katie Ayala for coming on the show this week big, <laughs> big thanks to sworn enemy Katie Ayala uh, who we appreciate very much for spending time with us. Go down and see your character coffee. I have a gift card, which I'm told is okay to use there. Oh, you gotta uh, use them. Sayonara, humanoids. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. The tape machines are rolling. We are desperately, desperately out of time. And uh, for the 300th time, I will say it. We will see you next week for another episode of the Uticast. Thank you so much, folks, for being here. Be safe. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Get your vaccine. Get your vaccine. Get your, get your vaccine. Thank you.